Okay, well, technology be damned. We're gonna, we're gonna soldier on. Um, I'm going to call this meeting of the Planning Commission on October 23rd to order. Um, the first item of business is initial transactions. Uh, roll call. Here. Here. Commissioner Here. Commissioner Lynn. Commissioner Muraya. Commissioner Sepulveda. Here. Here. Thank you, Cindy. Okay, this next item is the minutes from our October 12th meeting. Did everyone have an opportunity to review? And if so, would anybody like to make a motion? I wasn't there. Can I still make a motion? Am nope. I? <laughs> so somebody else, come uh, on. <laughs> I'll move approval as drafted. Okay, Commissioner Dickinson moved and Commissioner Morales uh, seconded. All in favor? Aye. I, uh, Commissioner Stepanisech and um, Commissioner Desser abstain. Uh, next item is communications. Um, from the commissioners, any commissioners have anything that they would like to share? Commissioner Dickinson. Yes, this is actually uh, more of an announcement, and that is that uh, I learned from the family that Marge Macris, who was a former county planning commissioner here, Marge was actually um, first hired by the county in the early 70s, as I recall. She was very involved in um, working on the 1973 countywide plan and then the rezoning actions that occurred to implement that. Uh, she became director. She actually interviewed me, did the job interview for my, my initial position here at the county. Um, she was senior planner, principal planner, then became head of current planning. And then in 1978, I think it was, she was uh, chosen by the board of supervisors to be the planning director and she served in that capacity until um, uh, 1984 when she left to become planning director for the city of Mill, Mill Valley. She's a very long time Mill Valley resident. Uh, she did die um, last Monday uh, evening and the Board of Supervisors intends to have um, some kind of a, uh, event at a board meeting um, probably late November or um, early December, but a lot of the planning policies that are in effect today are a result of Marge's work for the, the county. So we will adjourn our meeting today, later today, whenever we adjourn in her memory. And uh, I worked with her on the Sierra Club board for a number of years. She was extremely supportive and her work on the 1973 countywide plan um, has benefited all of you, particularly those of you from West Marin. <clears throat> that was a seminal countywide plan for this county. So thank you, Commissioner Dickinson. Commissioner Desser, did you have some communications? Well, it's, it's with regard to our agenda item. So do you want me to do it after the open time for public expression, or should I do it now? For, for public expression not having to do with this uh, ordinance. Do it now? Okay. Um, First, I want to also disclose with regard to the matter, to item four that we'll be taking up, that I own a home in Marshall that's been used as an unhosted short-term vacation rental, uh, as we used to call them, um, for more than 40 years. 
And uh, also, uh, I met with many, many people. Uh, so I will, but I'm only going to disclose uh, that I met with members uh, representing the West Marin Access Coalition and members of the West Marin Residents for Housing, in addition to dozens of members of the public who accosted me on the street to let me know their views on this matter. I mean, I no, and I actually think it's a great thing. I think we have like 10 inches of letters. The involvement in this on all sides is has been really critical. Thank you. Anyone else have any communications that they'd like to share with the commission? Okay, moving on to the director's report. Jeremy. Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, couple things for the agenda today. First, uh, in terms of preliminary agendas, seems to constantly be moving, um, things coming up. Uh, so we have a, um, on November 13th, um, the follow-up hearing from today's uh, uh, workshop. Uh, we also have an Airport Land Use Commission hearing on the Valley Oaks housing project, which is in the city of Novato. Uh, so that's a referral because it's in within the referral boundary in the um, airport land use uh, plan. Uh, we don't have anything scheduled right now for November 27th, um, but we'll let you know. Uh, and then on December 11th, we have a workshop on the development code amendments related to the housing element. That got bumped from uh, when we said it was going to be before uh, to December 11th, essentially to provide um, uh, a... Um, version for the public to review before scheduling it for your planning commission's review. Uh, we don't have anything scheduled for next year, but we do have the calendar um, for your um, consideration, which is the next item. We uh, tried to avoid all major religious holidays, uh, and also we try to have these on Mondays. We did pretty well this year. I think there's only maybe one where we have to have it on a Thursday. Uh, so we tried to have it all on Mondays. Um, hopefully you've had a chance to take a look at that and, um, and give it some thought, and we will ask for your approval if it looks okay. Okay, Jeremy, I mean, I assume it's a timing question, but the ALUC issue that's on November 13th, given the volume of, of public comment that we're seeing and that we may be anticipating for November 13th, is it wise to do the ALUC item on the same day? Wise? <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, I mean, this is obviously a City of Nevada project. It's been uh, going through the process there. Um, and uh, I think there have been some delays. They've made a special request that we try to schedule this as soon as possible. And that's what we're, we're trying to honor that request. Actually, one idea yep. would be to do the ALUC before lunch and then we could start right at one o'clock on the. Uh, That's a great idea. Yeah, we can we can look at that. I mean, I don't know what the schedule is for your commission, but um, you know, we can also check in with the other ALEC members and see whether or not we could schedule this at you know eleven. Okay. Sound good? Okay, we'll 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 try and do that. Thank you. Okay, now is the time open time for public expression. That is for anyone who wants to address the commission on items that are not already on the agenda. So Actually, that would be Chair, I think we have to vote to approve the regular meetings. Oh, right. Thank you. Yeah, if you could vote for, for calendar. to approve it. Yeah, the calendar. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, anyone have any comments on the 2024 planning calendar? The, I had one, and that is a September the third green box. Is that just misplaced? Or? September the third. No, it's the third green the box, but it's hanging the out there. Third meeting. Yeah. Oh yes, thank you. We'll we'll take care of that. Right. Okay. I'll move approval of the calendar of planning commission hearings for the year 2024, as drafted. Do I have a second? Second. Commissioner Dickinson moved, and Commissioner Desser seconded. All in favor? Aye. 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 Great. Thank you. Okay, now is the time for um, public comment, open time for public expression on items that are not currently on the agenda. If anyone wants to address the commission on items that are not item four, now's the time. Okay, seeing none, we can move on to item four, short-term rental ordinance, and we're going to check in with our technical advisors first. Okay. Sarah. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, thank you for being here today to hold what, uh, what is your second workshop around this topic of short-term rentals. Uh, and uh, as the, na the title workshop connotes, this is not a, a hearing at which you will be making decisions, but this is such a, a sort of big and critical policy issue that it really felt like it was going to be very important for us to uh, have a chance to have some dialogue, some iteration, some direction, so that uh, the recommendation that we ultimately bring you would uh, would reflect what I, what the public has to say about this issue and what you are hoping to see from us. Um, and I neglected to introduce myself. My name is Sarah Jones. I'm the director of the Community Development Agency here. I, I'm kicking this uh, kicking this item off to give some context and framing on it. Uh, and then I will hand it over to Jeremy. Uh, Kathleen Kilgariff, who has put, I don't even want to think about how many hours of work into this effort, uh, is not able to be here today. And so uh, Jeremy is stepping in and we think he'll be able to handle it. <laughs> but, uh, but I did want to start off uh, just with some context on this picture because you have, um, I, I see you all with your many, with your stacks of comments. Uh, we have gotten a lot of public feedback, which as Commissioner Desser mentioned, is great. Uh, it's really good to get um, all of the perspectives of all of the people who are uh, involved in this, might be affected by it, and who really uh, care about this big piece of how things happen in our county. Um, we are, as you well know, considering regulation of short-term rentals. Uh, this is not about uh, eliminating short-term rentals. It's not about... Uh, continuing the uh, the pre-moratorium stage of uh, pretty limited focus just on the business license and uh, transient occupancy tax aspect of it. Um, we, uh, we, we want to 
uh, accommodate and balance this use and recognize the role of both individual property owners and visitors and also of communities uh, in this whole process. Short-term rentals are land use. Uh, they are, uh, to be more specific, is this microphone working? Uh, to be more specific, uh, they, are, they are a commercial use and they're a commercial use that has evolved within residential neighborhoods. And so as this use has evolved, uh, we see it fit to really focus on it uh, as its own particular use and activity. You're going to hear right at the beginning of the presentation today uh, a review of the guiding principles um, that were developed. These were uh, developed together with community members in the earliest round of public outreach on this effort, and they have really been what is uh, what is focusing this work. And you'll see in there a desire to address uh, potential. Uh, to explore and then address how this use uh, is interacting with our housing supply, with our housing affordability, um, the balance of the use relative to other activities, the role of short-term rentals within our economy, um, and the need to ensure that uh, we are continuing to steward our environmental and natural resources uh, with this effort. And uh, that's uh, that's the spirit uh, that we have brought to this in listening to public input and developing the recommendations, and uh, that's what we'll be uh, hearing about and thinking about today. Uh, one last point that I want to make before I turn this over to Jeremy is uh, the the matter of administrative regulations. That's something that we raised uh, in our discussions and in uh, what you're seeing before you. And uh, it, it's something that is a, is a little bit confusing, I think, uh, to a lot of people who are looking at this. Um, administrative procedures, regulations, uh, are something that is commonly used, and they're just what, they're just what they say. They're, how we actually go about doing the work of um, processing and considering applications or programs. I, you know, anything that the Board of Supervisors adopts and puts into our code is, is just that. It's codified, uh, it can't be adjusted, it, uh, or I mean it can with, a, uh, with reconsideration by the Board of Supervisors, but uh, you don't, generally put uh, a lot of the day-to-day -day practices in your code. And so the administrative regulations, uh, just to clarify this point, would not be bringing new layers and new requirements that, that you wouldn't have been considering, that uh, ultimately the Board of Supervisors wouldn't have been considering. It's more of the day-to-day how-to guide. Uh, that we would be using and that would be much more accessible and understandable um, to potential short-term rental operators and to communities. Uh, and so, th so that's what role they would take uh, and the what belongs in code, what belongs in the administrative regulations is something that uh, we would continue to sort out through this process. What we are really uh, looking for today uh, from you and um, from the feedback that we hear from the members of the public who are here 
is uh, an understanding of the, the policy directions and the substance of how we would approach short-term rentals. So with that, I'll turn it over to Jeremy, and uh, you'll hear the, hear the details. Thanks, Sarah. So I'll do my best to muddle through the uh, um, presentation that Kathleen put together. Um, fairly familiar. I've done my best to get through all the many, many comments. Um, maybe I haven't gotten through all the ones we just received today, but um, I'll do my best to get through them and to answer all of your questions. Uh, and if we can't answer any questions today, of course, we'll bring those back in a couple of weeks and try to answer them at that point. So <coughs> in terms of the goals for today, we want to go through some background information, uh, present, some, uh, present some draft regulations, as well as some alternatives for your commission's consideration. Um, and at the uh, end of the uh, hearing today, um, ask you to actually have straw votes on the alternatives and give us any other feedback you want us to have before bringing it it, uh, the revised um, standards and an ordinance back to you at the next commission hearing. <clears throat> so, uh, as Sarah mentioned, there were, were some guiding principles that were developed at the outset of this process. One, for prioritize housing supply and affordability and consider regulations in light of their effects on the cost and availability of housing within individual communities. Advance equity and access to economic opportunities, services, and activities. Recognize that Marin County has historically provided vacation opportunities to the greater Bay Area region and state. Distinguish among types of short-term rental operations and operators, uh, for, for example, hosted versus unhosted, single, multiple ownerships, et cetera. Uh, to continue, consider environmental constraints such as water and sewage capacity. Uh, develop regulations that are clear, affordable, simple, and enforceable, the case principle, as you're somewhat familiar with, uh, and ensure that short-term rentals are good neighbors considering noise, parking, trash, uh, and other neighborhood quality of life concerns. So that was uh, what was developed at the outset. Uh, just a little background. Now, um, you have heard some background already. There was a workshop back in June, which I think was very informative. We had a lot of good public comments, a lot of good, great questions from your commission. Uh, and um, uh, so you know some of this already. Um, so the Board of Supervisors first adopted short-term rental regulations in 2018. Um, those mostly related to good neighbor policies, um, public notice, um, and we established a short-term rental hotline. Um, and then there was a minor update in 2020, uh, and those have now been in effect for, for a number of years. Honestly, we had intended to address and bring back some um, uh, um, um, more robust regulations earlier than now, um, but COVID got in the way, as it got in the way of so many other things. Um, then in, um, due to some housing concerns and other concerns, Board of Supervisors adopted a moratorium on new short-term rentals being created, um, and that was uh, done in May to on May 23rd, 2022. It will be in place until May 23rd, 2024, or whenever new regulations are put in place. Um, I want to kind of point to this date a little bit because it is important uh, in terms of the overall process. We want to be able to have regulations in place by uh, May 23rd, 2024. 
And so the process we're engaged in now does have kind of an end date, a deadline. Um, we're asking your commission to consider this today. We have a um, follow-up hearing. Then we're gonna be bringing forward a resolution to the Board of Supervisors uh, and a draft ordinance. The resolution will give us permission to then submit that draft, uh, that draft ordinance to the Coastal Commission for their review. Their review may result in changes to that draft ordinance. We will then bring that draft ordinance back to the Board of Supervisors for their final review, and at that point, the ordinance may be adopted into the code. So there's some back and forth, and uh, so really it's a fairly tight timeline. And we don't have that much time to get to the board, get it to the Coastal Commission, then get it back to the board. But that really is um, the best way of giving a fully considered um, option, set of options to the Board of Supervisors as well as to the Coastal Commission. So we appreciate your attention today moving it forward. There are a number of policies that are already in place calling for this type of evaluation of short-term rentals. Uh, clearly one set is in the housing element recently adopted at the beginning of the year. Um, of course, the housing element called for protecting housing stock, uh, monitoring that housing stock. Uh, it has, also has a specific policy related to short-term rentals calling for the evaluation of short-term rentals and uh, regulations to be put in place essentially to protect uh, housing, um, although there are other reasons to uh, regulate short-term rentals as well. In addition, the local coastal program, which was adopted in 2021, uh, also addresses the need for more robust regulations regarding short-term rentals. I think it's important to note here that there is an inherent tension in this because one of the core purposes of the Coastal Act is to provide visitor-serving uses and opportunities for people throughout California, in fact, you know, throughout the country and the world. Um, so there's that in inherent tension and I think that's gonna be at play today. Uh, certainly, we are not intending to ban short-term rentals, nor would the Coastal Commission allow us to. We do believe that they will allow us to have common sense restrictions on short-term rentals and regulations governing their use. Um, <clears throat> so any changes to the LCP are gonna require the LCP amendment process, which is what this is going to be. Um, once we have these regulations, we're gonna be applying to the Coastal Commission for an LCP amendment to uh, uh, put them into the code. They will be part of the implementation plan for the local coastal program. Even though they won't be part of Title 20, they will be part of the implementation plan in, in a separate title um, in the Marin County Code. So um, just to kind of start breaking down some numbers, um, I think it's uh, informative to take a look at how some of these numbers break down in terms of the percentages of parcels that are developed and parcels that are developed with short-term rentals. So if you look at the coastal zone, you can see that's really the most impacted. Uh, total number of short-term rentals in the coastal zone, uh, 568, um, which is 16% of the total parcels that are developed. Um, if you think of West Marin areas outside of the coastal zone, uh, we're defining that as the Measure W areas. Um, there are 53 short-term rentals, which is 3% of, of the total number of developed um, parcels there. Uh, and then in East Marin communities, um, it's only 1%. So it's really a much, much greater issue out in the coastal zone villages than it is in the interior. Um, and overall, throughout the county, it's 3%. 
um, noticeable. It has a noticeable effect, but you don't have, but it's really a fairly dramatic swing between the coastal zone and the interior. There's been a fair amount of outreach to date. I think um, you know we continue to get letters, uh, and we've gotten more than 350 public comments overall. That continues um, to this day. Um, there have been five district-based learning sessions starting in the fall of 2022. Um, there was a short-term rental moratorium meeting in January of 2023. Um, Supervisor Rodoni had a whole series of um, meetings out in the community uh, in 2022 and 2023. Community Development Agency staff attended various community meetings um, throughout the coastal zone and elsewhere. Um, there was a short-term rental survey, total of 2,467 respondents, 1,191 of those indicated that they lived here in the county. Um, and on June 12th, of course, your Planning Commission had the prior workshop on uh, short-term rentals, giving you some background information about that public um, information. Um, there have been, since that time, interviews and facilitated group discussions, and of course, more and more comments. So, in terms of the proposed short-term rental regulations, um, the standards establish short-term rental license and application process, uh, a short-term rental operating requirements, including eligibility standards, uh, good neighbor policies, noise, trash, parking, as well as there's some water and septic requirements, and emergency preparedness issues are, are addressed. There are also short-term rental caps, which we'll get into a little bit more. Um, and the process for violations of short-term rentals um, mimics the process for violations of any other code section um, with some tweaks. Uh, so uh, a few uh, things about the licenses. Um, only one license shall be issued per short-term rental property owner and one license shall be issued for any given property. Um, there will be administrative procedures uh, for the application process, including information about what is required for the uh, process uh, to proceed. Um, there will be public notification required, including exterior signage, so that the uh, neighbors um, will understand that there is a short-term rental there. Um, there will be a two-year license term. The licenses will be ministerial, and after the two-year term, you'll be able to renew your license as long as you're in good standing. In terms of the short-term rental operating requirements, in terms of eligibility, uh, short-term rentals are not uh, permitted on vacant lots, in ADUs or junior accessory dwelling units, in multifamily units, uh, in structures without permanent foundations. Um, these are the girts and the tree houses and those types of things. There are good neighborhood policies and regulations as well uh, related to noise, solid waste, parking, um, and septic and wells. Uh, and then there's emergency preparedness, uh, including how the address is marked, um, fire extinguishers, emergency communications, evacuation routes, uh, and other issues that were addressed in our conversations with uh, first, uh, um, first responders. We have drawn a distinction here between hosted and unhosted short-term rentals. Um, a hosted short-term rental must have a host on site from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. That's to demonstrate that they're actually um, hosted and that they are looking after the property while they're being rented. Unhosted short-term rentals must identify a local contact person. Uh, that's a person who uh, will be able to address issues with, with uh, guests that come up during their stay. Uh, unhosted short-term rentals are subject to the proposed short-term rental caps as well. 
or is hosted or not in the proposal. Uh, this may be a little bit difficult to read, but you can kind of see here uh, the different townships uh, and the idea is shown here of the initial number of unhosted short-term rentals in these areas and then the ultimate number of short unhosted short-term rentals in these areas. So these numbers are really coming uh, essentially based on um, the number that are currently um, signed up for TOT in these different communities uh, and uh, also arrived at by looking at the number that we had on record before the moratorium was announced. So what happened was um, when the moratorium was uh, announced that there was going to be a moratorium, um, we had a, a, a surge of applications for new short-term rentals. And so what this is going, uh, what this is doing is saying, essentially, we're gonna start out by allowing everybody who's got a uh, short-term rental now to come in and apply for that short-term rental to get a license. Uh, but then ultimately, um, as, uh, those as those people uh, pull out of the short-term rental market, we're gonna gradually decrease the total number of licenses in those areas, so we get back to the number that was um, that was uh, estimated at the time that the that the moratorium um, was enacted. Here's a map of the different township areas in uh, Marin County, just to line up with those um, short-term rental caps that I just showed you. Uh, in terms of violations, um, as I as I mentioned, uh, we're basing this on the on the sections of the code that are already used for other kinds of violations: 105, 106, and 107. Uh, short-term rental licenses may be suspended or revoked. Um, they're not, uh, if they don't comply um, with the um, requirements. And short-term rental licenses shall not be renewed if there have been two or more verified violations during the previous two-year license period. And when I say verified, what that means is our code enforcement staff has conducted an investigation and verified that the, there's actually a bona fide violation. Now on to alternatives. We're presenting three different alternatives today, although of course um, it's wide open and if there are other things that you would like to consider as commissioners um, or would like us to consider uh, and bring back to you, we're more than happy to do that. But we thought these were things that had come up that um, we uh, think are all worthwhile uh, for consideration. The first is to exempt agricultural properties from the short-term rental chapter in the Marin County Code. Short-term rentals uh, are generally gonna be in residential zones. Uh, however, there are short-term rentals on agricultural properties as well. But the characteristics are somewhat different. Ag properties are much larger, so you don't necessarily have the issues you have in a smaller or tighter um, neighborhood. Uh, they're almost always hosted because ag producers are living on the property or have farm managers on the property. Um, you don't have the same issues around noise because of the distance um, between properties or, um, or even garbage or other things. So the, the, the chances of um, nuisances to the neighborhood are much reduced, uh, as well as it being an important form of supplemental income for a lot of um, agricultural properties. So we think this is worthwhile considering exempting from this chapter. Um, I will note that uh, there are other ideas afoot about uh, agricultural properties um, and ways to address um, agritourism in the coastal zone as well as outside the coastal zone 
and uh, we may come back to this issue if uh, we exempt it now um, and look at it in within the context of agritourism rather than the context of short-term rentals. Um, another idea is to include both the unhosted and hosted short-term rentals in the caps. So the, uh, the numbers that we have right now are a, a agglomeration of both hosted and unhosted. We do not have very good numbers on how many are hosted and how many are unhosted. However, um, anecdotally, my understanding is that there are actually relatively few unhosted, I'm sorry, uh, relatively few hosted short-term rentals. That does not seem to be the, the, um, the um, business model. Uh, of course, there are many uh, vacation homes in the coastal zone in particular where people may spend, you know, a month or a few weekends a year in a family gathering place um, and then have short-term rentals the rest of the time. Um, so uh, there have been concerns raised about not having any caps on hosted short-term rentals and that potentially increasing the number of short-term rentals. Um, so um, that's one thing to consider. Uh, I will also say that in terms of the, um, the administration, um, having these combined makes it much simpler to administer and to enforce. So in terms of enforcement, we're going to have to hire new staff to be able to administer this program. Uh, and in all likelihood, we would have to hire an outside code enforcement um, agency uh, to conduct nighttime um, uh, uh, visits. And that's a very expensive proposition. So if we do not have to do that, it will not only make it easier to administer, but it will make it less expensive for the overall permitting process and licenses because they will not have to defray the costs of those outside code enforcement consultants. Uh, the last to consider uh, is to establish a countywide short-term rental cap. As I mentioned, first off, um, the impacts are certainly greatest in the coastal zone. However, there are impacts everywhere, and our housing element does ask us to review the idea of limiting short-term rentals throughout the county. Um, so that is something that we ask you to uh, consider as well. So we will ask you to have uh, um, a, a uh, discussion of those three alternatives and a straw vote. Finally, um, just to wrap up, um, today is really about uh, the opportunity for you, um, uh, for your commission and for the public to weigh in. Um, we do not have a resolution for you to consider, but we will be returning with a resolution in a couple of weeks after getting your input on the standards that we've presented today. Those are all my comments and I'm available for questions. Thank you. I have a couple general questions, not in terms of specifics. But one is, have we had any discussion with the Coast Commission about the proposed ordinance? Yes, we have. And? Well, you know, it's always hard to tell whether the Coastal Commission is going to um, a, uh, find a um, proposal such as this acceptable. But in terms of our conversations with their staff, they've been relatively accommodating so far. So we are optimistic that we can make the argument that most of these regulations, if not all, um, will be acceptable uh, within the framework of providing visitor serving uses in the coastal zone. Okay, 
I mean, I understand the relationship between the county and the Coastal <coughs> Commission and difficulty in pinning them down in some ways, but there have been those discussions and there's nothing, they haven't been throwing up red flags. Is my question. Not so far. And if I could add to that, uh, it, it is in the LCP that we, uh, that we intend to uh, address this topic and provide some further regulations around it. So it was you know, certainly not a surprise to them and they have an understanding that it needs to be addressed. I, uh, you know, we've also been consulting with a lot of other communities around uh, their work, their work to regulate short-term rentals, and so you know, got the perspective of uh, what the Coastal Commission's priorities and issues would be uh, from them, as well as from Coastal Commission staff. And my next question is: I think I was under a misunderstanding at the um, previous workshop. The deadline for the Coastal Commission to adopt or to approve an ordinance for the um, coastal zone area is um, a moratorium deadline. It's not one where everything will go away if we aren't at that point in May, I think, when the moratorium expires and can't be extended. So we, we just go back to the rules that are in place now. I mean, we still have those in place. And initially, I had thought everything went away uh, if we didn't act by the May date. But there that's was no right. expiration in the previous ordinance. That's correct, yeah, that's a codified ordinance, yeah. Okay, and almost my final question is actually for the County Council. Um, and that has to do with grandfathered uses. Um, under the zoning ordinance, if zoning regulations change, um, an existing use, um, is grandfathered in as a legally conforming use. This is actually done under the taxation code, not the zoning code. So if new rules are adopted, are existing uses grandfathered in? I mean, if it's been operating for years and, and didn't, wasn't contrary to, to any rules in effect when it was established, isn't it a grandfathered use? Want to come over that way? No. Thank you. For the record, Brandon Halter, Deputy County Counsel. Uh, thank you for that question. We also saw that reflected in a number of comments that we received, and that is going to be something we're going to have to dig into with a little bit more depth, I think, to justify. Um, the seriousness of the question. I'm going to have to develop that. We're going to come back and bring a, a more detailed thought through response on it, but I appreciate it. Okay. Is, is there a difference because it's not part of zone? I mean, zoning has a lot of provision in terms of change in zoning and a use that was long established can continue without, uh, without, I mean, it continues as a legal, legal nonconforming use, but it's right. I mean, because this is taxation code. There is generally a, I agree with you that principle of land use is, is sort of uh, foundational to a lot of the way we evaluate the effectiveness of new regulation on existing land uses that might be different. I think with this one, there's a lot of layers to the question, and so I'd, I'd really like to make sure okay. that I'm squared up before I answer it. Um, and my final question is, in reading through the correspondence, 
There seems to be a question about the definition of um, hosted, a short-term rental, um, where when I read what is proposed, it says uh, um, uh, hosted is a short-term rental that is a primary residence of the host. It doesn't say the host has to be there. So if I had a house in Dillon Beach, it was my house and it was my principal resident and I could show through homeowners exemptions or whatever there was, I wouldn't have to be there to rent out the entire house. Isn't that correct under the definition here? Well, I, I would it just has to be a principal residence, but you don't have to be on the property. I would draw a distinction between the regulations and the standards and the definition. So you're correct about the definition. However, it is very difficult to enforce whether someone is actually using a property as a primary residence. You can have a homeowner's exemption, but it's not very much money, really. So um, what this is really about is the standards rather than the definition. And the standard is that they actually live there at the property. That's difficult to enforce as well. That's human behavior, which is very difficult to monitor. And the proposed ordinance requires that they actually be on the property at the time they're renting it out. That's right, yeah. Okay, I didn't, okay. I didn't read it that way, but those are my questions. Other questions for Jeremy? Just one really brief question. Commissioner right Stefanovic. Now. In terms of the application of the ordinance, as I read the proposed regulations, it does apply countywide. But is the limitation only that the caps only apply to West Marin at this time, as proposed? Yes, that's right. Any other questions? I Commissioner Curran. Oh, I have some, but I, I, I think I'd just soon wait until wait we hear for public comment. Yeah, public. I think that there are a number of us who have additional questions, but we'd really like to hear from the public. Thank you all for coming. I'm going to close the the um, staff presentation portion and open the public comment section. I wanna just at the outset let you all know that we have read all of your letters, every single one of them we all have, including the ones that arrived this morning. Um, and we welcome your public comment and thank you so much for adding your voices and your opinions and your experience to our understanding of this complex issue. Um, there are a lot of you and we wanna hear from all of you, so we're gonna ask uh, that each of you step up as you're called. Um, if you have filled out a pink speaker card, great. If you haven't, we would request that you do so uh, now if you want to address the commission. This might take us a minute. Um, we give uh, first speaking authority to, or first speaking rights to those who are representing community groups. So people who are representing more than a few voices. I have a couple speaker cards for people who are representing West Marin Access Coalition. So um, I'm gonna give one of you the, um, the right to speak on behalf of that organization and the rest of you can speak in your own behalf. And the um, uh, individuals who are representing organizations will have five minutes to speak and individuals who are representing themselves will have two minutes to speak. Um, I'm gonna be a little bit tight with the clock today, so please forgive me if I interrupt you and say thank you, will you wrap up? Um, and with that, I'm going to ask Sean Callagy for West Marin Access Coalition. You have five minutes. I'm gonna assume that nobody else who put West Marin Access Coalition on their pink speaker card um, is, representing, is representing 
Westmoreland Access Coalition. And after Mr. Callagy will be Don Smith representing Westmoreland residents for housing. Thank you. Uh, thank you, members of the commission. Uh, my name is Sean Callagy. I authored the 80-page report that has been submitted on behalf of Westmoreland Access Coalition. The letter has been uh, co-signed by 210 members of the community. So this is a very broad-reaching coalition, not just homeowners, but also individuals who are employed in the tourist economy, visitors, guests, we're everybody. And my message for you today is that we're very concerned. Uh, the Community Development Agency put forward the draft regulations before you behind closed doors. They were just released weeks ago, and it's very clear already that they're not a workable proposal. Some of your questions have already shown some of the flaws. They would, by design, reduce visitor access to the coast by reducing the supply of visitor accommodations, not just through caps that are overwhelmingly focused in the coastal zone, but also through a series of uh, very unworkable, burdensome regulations for which there's been no showing of necessity. No data to show septic, trash, parking issues are unique to STRs. In fact, the data show the opposite because the county's own complaint hotline only has a few dozen complaints in each of the last few years. Throughout this process, oh, and, and to make matters more complicated, you've been given a few weeks and told there's a very short timeline on which you must make a decision, but it's clear this is too important an issue to rush. We must take the time to consider the record, to ask for sound evidence. Otherwise, there's no way you can make good policy. So throughout this, uh, throughout this process, virtually every commenter and members of the commission itself have asked for data, and the Coastal Commission will require data uh, that's evident from its staff reports and its decisions. Simple claims, opinions, not backed by reliable data are not going to, to uh, pass muster with the commission. The Community Development Agency hasn't provided it. They've claimed now for the first time that the housing element actually supplies the information needed, but none of the charts or information in the housing element show their central claim that there is a zero-sum relationship between short-term and vacation rentals and long-term housing. Instead, the housing elements discussion is simply a repetition of the same talking points you've heard that somehow it's perceived as hollowing out the community. Well, a perception is just that. If it's, if it's that straightforward, there should be data, and the fact that the county has offered none after many years of study shows that the, the issues are distinct, should not be conflated. So just because somebody repeats something again and again doesn't make it true, but that's kind of what you keep hearing, hollowing out the community, these sorts of things. Many of the letters in your packet are clearly form letters that just say that again and again. But again, that's not data. So all we're asking is for the county to present reliable information, and we haven't seen it. They haven't shown that these regulations will do anything to move the needle on the goal of creating more affordable and uh, reliable long-term housing, a goal we support fully. But here's what will happen if the ordinance is enacted as proposed. As I said, 70 units, mainly in the coastal zone, will be taken forever from the public for its use. Far more units will be lost due to the burdensomeness of the regulation, the pitfalls, the two strikes and you're out rule that the county's putting forward based on any violation whatsoever with no due process right. Individuals who lose a spouse will lose their right to an STR if their spouse's name was on the property title. Is that a good result? 
All these things will continue to drive down the number of STRs and reduce coastal access. What else will happen? Locals will lose their jobs. 70 units sustains anywhere from 15 to 30 jobs based on economic analyses. And those jobs are held by individuals who are often less socioeconomically uh, uh, advantaged, many peoples of color. They will face real housing uncertainty and economic stress if the county takes away their jobs. And the county's put forward no proposal for how it's going to help the people it hurts through these unintended consequences. <coughs> And then we also know the county will lose millions in tax revenues through transient occupancy taxes, as well as through uh, the loss of Measure W taxes. It's especially backwards to claim you're trying to protect housing by cutting off the source of funding that supplies affordable housing. But that's exactly what the county's doing with no suggestion of how it's gonna backfill that. For all these reasons and those stated in our letter, we strongly urge you to reject the proposal put forward by the county county can and must do better. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Calgie. So I appreciate your support. And to keep things moving, I'm going to ask that you withhold your applause until the end. And I appreciate that. And I understand that it's challenging. So thank you. Mr. Smith. Hi, uh, thanks. I want to point out that there are several other people here from the West Marin a coalition for housing um, who want to speak, so I'm not going to take the full five minutes and so that they can also speak for an equal time as I. Uh, I've been in um, Bolinas for 23 years now. I have a house there. I've been on the water board for 19 years. I've been advocate for affordable housing all that time and was part of a group in 2016 um, that raised the alarm to the county about the acceleration of STR activity and um, then in 2018 as a result of that partly we got the good neighbor policy which was helpful but um, it did nothing to you know curb the acceleration of STRs and so as a result of that, we now have twice as many STRs as we had in 2018. It's using one-sixth of our housing stock. And, and I have seen myself, and, and most of us out there have seen over that period of time, um, people driven out of their rentals because the property sells or the owner decided to switch to short-term instead of long-term renting because it's very lucrative. Short-term renting is an extremely profitable business. You can make twice as much money renting short-term as long-term. And it's also driving up housing prices and closing locals who want to, you know, have a stake in the community from buying because um, somebody buying a second home can pay at least half their mortgage with short-term rental income, but somebody living there hasn't got that opportunity. They're always getting outbid. Locals I know have been trying to find houses for years, and and they always get outbid, and and so it's it's ruining the housing market, and it really needs to be rolled back to 2018 levels. There's no reason you can't do that. It's been held up in court many times. It's not a government taking. It's just you know prioritizing community over profit, which is what the government should be doing. 
Thank you. Next is uh, Mark Switzer for Point Reyes Station Village Association, and then Steve Kinsey for the Dillon Beach Access Group. Thank you very much, uh, Mark Switzer, the Secretary of the Point Reyes Station Village Association. And I, well, five minutes is a lot, um, but I think I can make my points uh, quickly. Um, and that is the Village Association has taken up this matter in our monthly meetings since the beginning of the year. And uh, it's been, of course, of great interest to not just the residents of Point Reyes Station, but the, the broader community, to the extent that Point Reyes Station is sort of the commercial nexus of West Marin. It has a different um, take on this issue. But um, in any case, because of our concern about um, the housing element and how it brought forward the whole issue of short-term rentals, it's been a sort of a, a co-theme that we've been trying to grapple with. Um, we've, we did submit um, written comments as the association for the, the June workshop, um, and we have attended multiple meetings regarding the issue. Uh, and just at our uh, monthly meeting um, on the 12th of October, uh, Leslie was good enough to come out and field questions and comments from the community. That, that meeting was pretty well attended, uh, both online and in person. I think there was more than 50 individuals there. And I think that there's uh, sort of an odd objective bit of information for you uh, that may not come up in other, from other speakers. And that is that as I tried to um, type out the minutes from that meeting, the thing that struck me is that despite the fact that that audience, uh, by show of hands, considered themselves well-informed in the process, there was incredible confusion, I think, um, and a, a lack of understanding on the part of the public, not just those that have taken interest, but uh, a broader uh, set of the, the community. And to try to illustrate that, I think that there's uh, three issues that um, I would say uh, represent that kind of uh, complexity that needs to be um, uh, addressed more uh, completely by the, both the commission and the staff. And the, the first being the, the caps themselves. The issue around the caps that is totally confusing to people uh, is that the idea that the caps that are proposed relate only to, host, uh, to unhosted uh, rentals uh, that are based on the uh, initial um, numbers and then also the ultimate numbers. Whereas, in fact, the idea that hosted uh, short-term rentals will not be subject to the caps, and there really isn't any understanding of what the the, the remainder, uh, the unhosted, the estimated unhosted units, um, what that number is. So effectively, if on the implementation, uh, I see my five minutes has got to run out really quickly here, but if in, that, if in the implementation it turns out that there is a big discrepancy between what is in fact unhosted and what is hosted, effectively there will be an increase in the number of short-term rentals. 
And is that the intention? And I'm just using that as an example, and I won't cite the rest. Is that the intention of the staff is to effectively allow an increase? Or is it an issue, as was discussed, is it a distinction between how you can actually regulate a hosted as opposed to an unhosted? What, what will be the consequence? So I think we're dealing with both que the questions about what the intended consequence is and what are the unintended consequences can be. So I think it, uh, I just urge the commission and the staff to realize that there needs to be a better um, manifest explanation of how this is going to work. And maybe it needs to come out in the working, meaning that in the administration, as they apply for renewal, it's then determined what numbers were actually unhosted and what numbers were hosted in order to establish a realistic cap. No, I'll end there. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Spitzer. Mr. Kinsey. Good afternoon. Thank you for this opportunity to speak. And um, today I'm speaking on behalf of 28 families that are characterizing themselves as the Dillon Beach Access Group. Some of them are here today. I'll just ask you to raise your hands. All residents, uh, uh, or not all residents of Dillon Beach, but all property owners within Dillon Beach. Um, our firm for the past two years has been actively involved in short-term uh, rental ordinances up and down the state of California, most notably in Malibu, but also in Oceanside. And in the course of doing that work, we've been reviewing a number of uh, other ordinances. Um, I want to thank the commission today for this challenging job. It's a balancing act for sure, uh, but it's important to have public input uh, that you're providing. The Coastal Commission itself um, has approved many of these local coastal program amendments, and so they, there's a large uh, track record of their involvement. They have twin goals. One is to improve visitor access to the coast and allow for increasing that over time, and the other is to protect and preserve communities and community character. Uh, so they weigh those as they look at any uh, local coastal program amendments brought to them. They've made, a, made it very clear that they like to tailor the ordinances to the various communities, so there's a wide range of different types of ordinances that have been approved based on the circumstances in the communities in which they operate. Um, they consider unhosted uh, STRs to be an important part of um, the, any, any ordinance because they, they believe it generally provides more affordable lodging and more flexibility for the visitor experience. Um, in some areas, uh, they've uh, eliminated the ability to provide for caps, while in other areas, they do have caps. Uh, examples of no caps uh, would be in the Capitola Village area along Cliff Drive, uh, in Aptos on Beach Drive, uh, and in Mission Beach in San Diego, um, they made a very specific uh, exemption for that area relative to other parts of the city. Um, also, they uh, emphasize the importance of STRs when there are situations where there's very few hotel rooms, and in West Marin, that certainly is the situation. Um, the access group that I'm representing today sees much of the ordinance as uh, workable. Um, the licensing, the collecting of the TOT, the one STR per property, the good neighbor policies and suspensions for violations, uh, the 24-hour contact person with appropriate communication technology, emergency requirements being met, 
special event <coughs> restrictions and visible signage. So a lot of the, the ordinance as it's drafted is workable. Their primary concern has to do with the fact that the community development staff has really not recognized the unique history of Dillon Beach. It was started in 1859 by George Dillon. He built a hotel. He later laid out the city blocks of what's now known as the village uh, in a way that it was from the very beginning marketed exclusively as vacation homes. Um, in the 1960s, up on the hill, Oceana Marin, which has 230 homes, um, was created uh, from the very beginning. They allowed for rentals of the property. They have very strict CCNRs that are very similar to the conditions that the draft ordinance is placing. Just to give you some sense, in the village there's 168 homes. Only 10 of those house full-time residents, while on the hill um, there are um, 230 homes today, only 27 house full-time residents. Very limited amount of full-time residency in, in the Dillon Beach area. There remain undeveloped lots in Oceana Marin, and those opportunities are going to be off, uh, interesting to the people that as they develop their homes. Um, the community has tried to convey that it's different from the West Marin towns. There's no school, no grocery, no transit, no core village. Um, it is not like Bellinas, Stinson, San Geronimo, or Point Reyes, or Inverness. Um, interestingly, the housing element put no residential sites into Dillon Beach. So the idea that it's going to limit uh, housing and housing opportunities is, is off target. Uh, houses are very expensive there. Um, the owners are not uh, uh, parts of corporations. They're longtime families who use them. If they're not given the opportunity to do the short-term rentals, they will um, choose to not have anyone use the homes when they're not there. That increases the risk of crime. There's other issues that don't make that a good outcome. So what we're asking for is three changes. Eliminate the, the caps in Dillon Beach. Recognize that the village, when it was designed, is very small and very tight and uh, reduce the number of on-site parking spaces in the village area only to one space to acknowledge the, the land use, the way in which it's organized. And finally, uh, do not um, require costly septic system evaluations every two years. They are expensive. Uh, a good baseline can be established in the initial one, and then after that, environmental health can work it into its routine uh, programs for maintaining uh, <coughs> systems. So with that, I appreciate uh, this opportunity to speak on behalf of the Dillon Beach uh, group, and um, we're very interested in the comments of the coastal I mean, of the uh, county council around the principally permitted use. We want to know what the estimate of a registration will cost. Thank and you. Thank, thank you, you very much. Okay, next we have Annie O'Connor for Bolinas Community Land Trust, followed by Dr. Elizabeth Robbins. And then Joe Dunn. Great. Thank you, Commissioners. Oh, I am here today because the Bolinas Community Land Trust has observed a clear connection 
between an increase in short-term rentals and the decrease of long-term affordable housing in our community over the past 10 years. And I, I heard the reference to there being a lack of data, so I will offer uh, to the CDA that we, or whomever, that we would uh, welcome the opportunity to share our waitlist data, which I believe you know, will illustrate this clear connection. I think that, you know, and I will also say I have a degree in, in economics. I, I'm, I'm not sure that we are gonna be able to come to exact you know, causation on this, but I also have a degree in public policy and know that a lot of good policy has been made without being able to illustrate you know, perfect causation. And I think that's because um, there are myriad data points that are available to you. And what I would urge you is to please take seriously the um, impact that this um, affordable housing crisis is having fueled by the increase in short-term rentals and housing prices on people who are living in, in our community. And I'll speak specifically to the community of Bolinas because obviously there's a great deal of variation. All of our coastal villages and associations are not the same and I do wanna thank you know everyone for accounting for that in the current um, materials that have been put forward for consideration. What we see in Bolinas is that the current proposal will result in a net increase in short-term rentals. And this is not what we have heard our community wants. So it's important to be very clear, this is not what our community wants and needs. We do want short-term rentals to be available. We do need short-term rentals to be available. We do not want a net increase. I think that it's also important to um, anticipate and consider the Coastal Commission as part of this process. And what I would hope is that they, as you, are able to recognize the equity and access issues that will be at risk if they do not partner with community organizations such as ours through sound policy to help preserve long-term affordable housing. We know that it is the most vulnerable members of our community that always end up being displaced. And I fear that the negative net impact on the socioeconomic, racial, ethnic, and other diversity of our community will also harm the members of our community who are least able to afford short-term rental prices. Whether they are high or not, if you are extremely low income, you are not taking vacations that are allowing you to rent someone else's home overnight. So I would argue that the members of our community that are already in our community or who are hanging on by a thread in our community deserve access to our coastal air areas just as much. And the best way to preserve is to keep them there. They are also the people who most often enable others to come visit our region by the, by the vital services that they provide in our, in our economic industry. So they may be the ones cleaning the STRs. They may be serving at our restaurants, right? We need to make sure that we are not displacing people. Someone spoke of unintended consequences. And I think that uh, 
you know, tomorrow I'll be here addressing the Board of Supervisors about an emergency RV campground for residents of the Teixeira Ranch, who we are trying very hard not to displace due to the affordable housing crisis. Many of those people work in this industry. They want STRs. They also want to be able to stay living in our community. So I, I would just say that um, a lot of this comes back to common sense for me. And I, I often think of my late husband, Brendan O'Connor, who's the reason I hold this position, who would always say to me, we can't build or buy our way out of the affordable housing crisis. For the love of God, when is the BCLT gonna deal with the issue of STRs? And here we finally are able to deal with it. So what I would ask you to do is, is remember the common sense inherent in this. And please, we endorse the, the policy recommendation of the Westward Residents for Housing that is asking that you reduce the level of unhosted STRs to 2018 pre-COVID levels. Thank you. Dr. Elizabeth Robbins, followed by Joe Dunn and Pat Gallagher. Dr. Robbins, you have two minutes. Thank you. Um, just to note, I'm, I'm a member of the Ross Town Council, but I'm not speaking for the town of Ross. Um, I think you should consider adding an, an alternative uh, to the policy, and that would be an exemption to the number of short-term rentals for houses that are near waterfront, say within 500 to 1,000 feet of water. I think it's a real mistake to l limit short-term rentals um, in houses near water uh, in vacation areas like um, the beach houses or lagoon houses at Stinson Beach, for example. These aren't residential communities that are being hollowed out by renters. These houses are nearly all second homes, vacation homes. Um, they're, they're too expensive to ever be part of the affordable housing stock. Limiting rentals in the vacation areas means that only billionaires will own these houses. Regular families won't be able to buy them if they can't cover their mortgage by renting out the house. Limiting rentals decreases coastal access for regular families, leaving just the billionaires who rarely use their vacation houses anyway. Uh, and then there are just fewer people patronizing the, the shops and restaurants, and the towns get hollowed out. So a very simple workaround could be to add an exemption to the cap on short-term rentals for houses near waterfront, say within 500 to 1,000 feet of water. These, for the most part, are already vacation homes. Alternatively, you could eliminate the cap on uh, houses in primarily vacation areas like Stinson Beach and, as was said, Dillon Beach. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Robbins. Uh, Joe Dunn, followed by Pat Gallagher. Good afternoon, commissioners. I'm uh, sort of an outlier as I'm in East Marin in San Rafael, one, part of the 1%. And I'd just like to express concern about the increased regulations that are proposed. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, hosting a short-term rental is an easy job. You know, you just sit back and let the money roll in, and I assure you it's not the case. And now with these new regulations, I'm seriously considering, you know, going back to uh, uh, minimum month, month rentals, um, you know, which I'm sure would, would please some people. Um, but, you know, I also want to point out that there's, there's quite a loss. I mean, we contribute typically between five and $6,000 a year towards the, uh, to Marin County for the, the housing. 
and we have we employ people who come in and clean the properties as well as um, I know that you know people who come and stay at our place uh, spend quite a bit of money as they're on vacation so all all that would is likely to go away and I know for you know it's, I'm just one person so it's not gonna make that much of a big deal but there are other people who probably feel the same way so um, you know we've been doing this now for well, well before Airbnb was on the scene and never had a complaint. And it just, you know, it's frustrating to see more and more burdensome regulations being placed on short-term rental operators. Thank you. Mr. Don, sorry, can you, can you, are you in the city or the county? I'm in county. Thank you. Um, Pat Gallagher, followed by Howard Dillon, and then Angela Rubin. Thank you. I'm not part of any group. Um, <laughs> my wife and I are homeowners um, in the Sea Drift development of Stinson Beach. We rented the same house for 30 years for two weeks each year, sort of our annual vacation. Eight years ago, we were able to purchase the same house with the help of a lender that stipulated that we could qualify for the loan if we continued to offer the home as a short-term rental. Our objective was to enjoy the home for our family with our grandchildren and our children and continue to offer it as a short-term rental through Sea Drift Realty. We'd be un unable to keep the property if we were somehow unable to offer it as a vacation rental. We strongly believe that welcoming visitors to Stinson Beach is a very important part of our local economy, aside from providing much-needed income for businesses. Being visitors is how we fell in love with West Marin. Although probably well-intentioned, the proposed STR restrictions will have many unintended consequences, some of them you've already heard, sort of this one-size-fits-all approach. And I can't find any data, it was earlier, about how the, the restrictions on short-term rentals will actually result, re, result in um, more, uh, home, homeowner, more lodging for our, uh, our, our service people. So if enacted, how will this county measure effectiveness? How will it actually be measured effective? And what are the objectives? The, the rules seem convoluted, arbitrary. The county doesn't even have the resources now to have full coverage on the coast with some of the services. Enacting such restrictions without specific data is just irresponsible. It just appears that we're looking for, a, we've got a solution looking for a problem to solve. And uh, I appreciate your attention. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gallagher. Uh, Howard Dillon, followed by Angela Rubin and Steve Rubin. Good afternoon. Thank you all for your service here today. I really appreciate your being here. Um, I am uh, a part, uh, on the board of the Bolinas Community Land Trust. Uh, I, my objection is to the use or ownership of residential homes by corporations or business entities for the sole purpose of short-term rentals. Um, this, in my mind, is a zoning issue. Uh, in a residential area, any home operated as a short-term rental by a commercial entity is breaking the zoning laws. Uh, I'm a 42-year resident uh, of Bolinas. I have three immediate neighbors who run STRs. Uh, my experience is that hosted STRs largely work 
where unhosted ones are largely the source of endless problems. And uh, as a member of the Bolinas Community Land Trust Board dedicated to creating affordable housing in West Marin, I, I believe that the community needs less STRs, not more, and I don't trust the uh, projectioned, pro projections of attrition rates as being the solution. Uh, I have no problem with individuals who have a room or a cabin uh, uh, for a, a short-term rental as an income supplement, just the commercialization of scarce residential homes. And I also agree with the exemption of agricultural properties from any caps. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Angela Rubin, followed by <coughs> Steve Rubin. Thank you very much. Steve Rubin. <laughs> I think I found an ant. Uh, um, so my name is uh, Steve Rubin, and uh, along with my wife, uh, Lavisa, we uh, own and operate a historic Willow Camp, which has been um, in Stenson Beach for over 100 years, um, hosting uh, weddings there for over 70 years. So, um, and I, I guess my main problem here is that there's a very short timeline, yet there hasn't been any real data provided to say that the that what they're trying to achieve with these regulations is actually going to add any more housing. In fact, I'd like to suggest that it, it will do the opposite. And to say that we have to rush this thing through May 23rd, even though there was COVID and there hasn't been proper research done, it, it doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, for example, when I went to the county and discussed with the planning department where they said, well, we, we have a feeling that the towns are being hollowed out. And I said, well, what are you basing that on? For example, what's the school population? And they said they didn't know. Well, in Stenson Beach, the school population for when my kids were there was 89 kids, and now it's over 120, even though the number of STRs has more than doubled. So it doesn't show that having an SDR is actually hollering out the community. Jesus and his son, Jesse, who plays football for TAM, are going to have to leave the community if, if this ends. Jennifer, who lives on our property for free, as long as with Jesse, she will also have to leave. We have five to six employees, plus probably 20 part-time employees. They're all going to lose their jobs. In West Marin, housing is very expensive and very hard, but so are jobs. And without like having jobs for these people, there's not going to be a need for housing. There's other ways to have housing. For example, the state has said you have to have, you can have two ADUs per property. But the county Marin says no, one. So if you're really committed to short-term housing, I'd like to see you say, yes, we will allow two. Um, thank you, Mr. Rubin. Thank you. I'd also like to say that there was three minutes written on the agenda that have been public. If I could have a little bit more time, I want to address something else. Can you wrap up? Yeah. Thank you. The other part that is really important to me is Section K, where you don't allow corporate events or weddings. Um, there hasn't been any proof that a corporate event is any worse than any other type of rental. Um, also, my property um, giving public access to thousands of people through having the occasional wedding, which has been there for over 70 years. These are good neighbor issues and shouldn't be part of the short-term rental. Um, I'd be very happy to work with you on a good neighbor policy. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Rubin.
Lisa Poncha, followed by Liz Sutherland Riney and Wendy Botwin. Hi, I'm Lisa Poncha from Stemple Creek Ranch in Tamales or Fallon. Um, I'm also on the board of the Marin Agricultural Land Trust, but I am here just speaking for myself. My husband and I started our business um, in agriculture 18 years ago. We raise and sell organic grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb and pastured pork. My husband is a fourth generation rancher, but we started our own business because we saw that the only way to have an actual business and future in local agriculture was to do something different and to diversify and to create a consumer brand. And we have done that. Um, it has been extremely challenging. <laughs> it has been quite a wild ride. However, when I look back at the last 18 years, I'm extremely proud of what we've accomplished, um, as well as many other local producers here in Marin County. The number of agricultural producers that are still alive and still thriving in our agricultural community is dwindling. To be an agriculturalist in this part of the country is extremely challenging. I hear from the county over and over that the county wants to support local agriculture. And this is the moment <laughs> where the county can speak with its actions to support the need for diversification in agriculture, which includes agritourism. If we did not have agritourism in our business operation, I truly do not think we will be here. And that is for many reasons. One, because it is its own enterprise. It brings in revenue to our business. Two, because it is free marketing. <coughs> we have folks that come to our ranch and they not only spend their money on our products, but that is marketing. They go home, they tell their friends, they post on social media, and they become lifelong customers. And we have many different residential units on our different ranches that we both own and lease. We have long-term tenants that are just regular long-term tenants. We have many families that live on our properties, both owned and rented, that work for our agricultural businesses and our neighbors' agricultural businesses. We are providing farm worker housing. We are providing long-term housing. We are also providing agritourism. And it is a very important issue for the agricultural producers in the county, and I appreciate your support in that manner. Thank you, Ms. Poncha. Liz Sutherland-Riney, followed by Wendy Botwin, followed by Bruce Mitchell. Thank you. Um, Wendy Botwin, followed by Bruce Mitchell. I live in Bolinas, and I'm a longtime Marin County resident. Thank you for listening to my voice. I'm a longtime renter, long-term renter, losing my housing again during the still worsening housing crisis. It's real with real stories. I've been living it personally along with so many others. Many of us have already left the community, a community I love and care about as my home. 
What is the county really doing about the actual housing crisis? This plan for short-term rentals largely ignores those of us it's affecting. I'm speaking up on behalf of renters who I know will never be able to show up at meetings like these. I'm speaking up on behalf of those of us who serve homeowners and those renting in short-term rentals as caretakers of our elders and children and gardens and food service and building maintenance and emergency services. I'm speaking on behalf of those of us on the edge of becoming homeless or are homeless after losing long-term rentals because becoming more seriously housing insecure. I'm speaking on behalf of those of us looking for a home, not having fancy websites like STRs have to find somewhere to go. What does community mean to you, especially in West Marin where community really matters to us and we are losing it? I'm speaking on behalf of the more than human world where it matters to have deep long-term relationships in order to sustain the places we are loving to death with increased tourism and care about protecting what we have left. Why is the priority on making as much money as possible bringing wealthier people to our homes and communities who spend money here and lead to increased regular rents rather than the long-term renters who serve and live in our communities? Yes, there are already at least 568 in our coastal zone available for rent. Guess how many long-term rentals there are in all of West Marin? The answer is zero, and I'm not exaggerating. I know because I'm one of the renters this is all affecting, along with many other people I know and don't know. Please do a better job protecting those of us who call here home and need homes to live in and continue serving our communities in so many important ways. Thank you for caring and acting on behalf of long-term renters. Thank you. Um, Bruce Mitchell, followed by Maureen Cornelia. Thank you. Um, I've been a full-time resident in Inverness for, since 1968. Um, my wife and I were fortunate enough to buy some property in 1984. We built our home, we raised our kids there, they've gone to the schools. And we've, it's given us a perspective to be able to see the growing exodus of individuals uh, in our workforce. And the workforce is one of the focal points of the LCP uh, and maintaining a sustainability. Um, both our sons, who are in their 40s now, had to move away as, as well as so many of their classmates uh, who would have loved to have stayed and worked uh, in the Inverness community. And um, we had the good fortune and ability to uh, be one of the first uh, Households to build a junior second unit through the help of CLAM, um, which is we've been doing that for four years now. The income from that, uh, along with my Social Security, has paid for the property taxes and the insurance on the property, which is just fine with us because the crucial thing is that we've been able to make a place for a single person to rent, and they are the most impacted group of individuals in our community as far as finding a place to stay. They're lucky if they can find a house that might be for rent, uh, they'll still have to find three or four or five people to rent it with them. And um, um, so thank you very much for your time and I encourage you to place sensible caps on uh, the STRs. And I just wanna say that I keep hearing the word access, access, access. 
Well, there's no restriction on public access to the park. There's over 3 million visitors a year that come to Point Reyes Station uh, to the seashore without any problem with seeing the, the beautiful trails, beaches, and everything else about that place. Uh, it sounds more like the word access is being used for access to make more money. Thank you very much. Mr. Mitchell, Maureen Cornelia, followed by David Kimball, followed by Tom Riley. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak. Um, I'm Maureen Cornelia. I'm a full-time resident of Inverness for 20 years. And I was a very active member with the Community Land Trust of West Marin. I served on the board for 12 years, eight of those as board president. So I'm going to look back to Annie O'Connor because I'm speaking from my experience through those 12 years. And I really ask that you acknowledge and listen to the lived experience that all of us who have worked tirelessly to create homes, full-time homes for our community, we have done heavy lifting for you all, for the county, for our community. We've spent countless hours. We've raised money from our local community members. It's heartbreaking to see what is happening. And it's really, I'm going to be honest, infuriating to hear that our lived experience is some not, somehow not being counted, some not, somehow not being looked at as real data. Um, so I ask you to really take a look at that. You can spend more time with any of us. I'm looking at Sarah Jones here. We stood up in front of the Board of Supervisors over and over talking about the work we're trying to do and what's happening to our community. And yes, STRs have exasperated our housing problems. So I am, I am a big proponent for ratcheting back the <coughs> numbers. I would like to see us go back to 2018 le levels. And I have to say, what is, why is it that West Marin has to live with a 16% level of STRs when East Marin is 1% to 3% or they flat out ban them? That is not that far to go from some of the hotel accommodations in East Marin to come out to West Marin. Is it more convenient to be 10 to 15 minutes from our beaches? Yes, but who gets to do that? It's people with privilege. It is not the average visitor that's coming out. And I feel like they're being prioritized over our community needs. So I really ask you to think Think about what's happening to our communities. It was just said, we have a vibrancy in our community that is at serious risk. We're all watching it. And I just hope that you will take into account all that we have done as housing advocates in our community to really work, to make it possible for people to live. I guess I'll end by saying the sad reality is many of these people that are being referenced that are coming out to work in our communities, to serve us as full-time residents as well as visitors, they've long left our community. They can't live there. We have people that are house cleaners. They're not living in our community either. So thank you very much for your consideration. Thank you. David Kimball, followed by Tom Riley, followed by Stacy Carter. Thank you, Planning Commissioners, and for your time and service. Um, I really um, pulled out my pencil and tried to squeeze down to two from three minutes. Um, we have heard equivocation, oh, by the way, my wife and I have been 34-year residents of Bolinas, and between the two of us have served 24 years on the fire board or the, the water board. We care about community. 
We have heard equivocation about insufficient evidence. There is ample evidence for bold yet reasoned action tied to a legitimate government purpose. We have been asked why reduce the number of operators to 2018 numbers, a 50% reduction, which is a balanced midpoint between a much greater reduction and the unsustainable numbers we see today. The maintenance of today's 16% average would in fact be far more arbitrary as it's purely based on the circumstance of the number of operators that happened to get their licenses between the time when the housing shortage became more palpably severe and the moratorium imposed. The point is made that <clears throat> setting caps at lower than current levels will cause those losing an STR license in two or three years to see their financial investments potentially diminished and in some cases precious dreams disrupted. Weigh that against the fact that literally hundreds of individuals and families whose financial security and life dreams have already been and will continue to be disrupted as well as the businesses, schools, utility districts and fire departments due to the lack of housing. Many stories provide actionable qualitative evidence of the degree to which our communities continue to be diminished. Is it sound public policy to privilege property rights for a few above the people who actually live in and make the communities we cherish vibrant and sustainable? Do we wish our legacy to be that we endorsed commercial activity in residential neighborhoods? With your collective experience and wisdom, I'm almost done, you can make the best decisions possible with the best information available. Do not defer bold and necessary action claiming inadequate information such that we are back in this room again in five years. I implore you to honor those of us you have chosen to serve and act with the courage the situation demands. Thank you very much. Thank you. Tom Riley followed by Stacy Carter followed by Katie Peacock. <coughs> I just want to remind everyone, I'm sorry, Mr. Riley, just for one Quite second, right. that um, it's 2.45. If you parked here at some point before 1 o'clock, they do enforce parking here, and it's a two-hour parking limit, so you might want to think about that as you wait your turn or if you're considering sticking around. Um, and all the lots. So the lower's okay. No, Margo, lower's okay. Lower's okay. Oh, lower's okay. Sorry. My bad. My bad. <laughs> Look at this sign. So I'm sorry. Um, if your name comes up and you are not here because you're parking, um, come up and let, our, let Cindy know. And I'm going to ask you to please be quiet because we're going to continue the hearing. Um, Mr. Riley. Madam Chair, uh, members, Tom Riley. I am in parking lot F, so I will be brief. <laughs> I'd like to make I, all of the points that have been made are wonderful and and I, I think it's really important I hear from friends um, family community members from both sides uh, and I think it's really important when you hear clapping on one side or the other we should not be enemies on this everyone has a really valid point I my living in retirement is running short-term rentals for my family. I have a 101-year-old father whose cottage is in a short-term rental. We bought the cabin when I was nine years old, and, and here we are today. Um, my wife's family bought a place in the 1970s, 
and I was fortunate as a young assistant publisher with Dave Mitchell way back in the 80s to afford to buy a little place on, on the bay. So, so we're all here for really valid reasons, and I wanted to start by saying that, uh, because anything that I say, I don't want to offend anyone. I respect both sides of the issue. There are three unique points that I don't think have been made yet. One is that there is a campaign throughout the United States by the American Hotel and Lodging Association to tie this issue of affordable housing to eliminating short-term rentals. I am not making this up. I will provide each one of you with a copy of the New York Times article that is inside the hotel industry's plan to combat Airbnb. I have talked to people both in the third house as well as in leadership in Sacramento within the last week, and they say this is still very much alive, and particularly on the West Coast. So my point, which I don't think has been made yet, is a set of regulations and ordinances that is simply to do away with short-term rentals, with the assumption that this is going to get us long-term rentals, looks very different than a set of ordinances that is specific to trying to get more affordable housing in our communities. And I would urge members to consider some innovative ways in which we can do that. It is gonna require the county to take a deep breath, to look at the grand jury report from on, on ADUs that came out in June, but I think we can all do this. I will be out of business because I run multiple units. I would welcome the opportunity to build ADUs for my workers. I have looked into the possibility of having associate membership in the UFCW for my workers so they can benefit from health care that they cannot afford to buy in many cases. And, but I would also urge, and this is very important, those commercial entities that are lodging and hotels that are in our midst, which by the way, coincidentally, grew 70 overnight units in the same time that, as has been pointed out, 70 units are proposed to be eliminated. Those organizations should also take care of their workers. I'll build ADUs, but I would expect those competitors in my business who compete, and by the way, that effort to eliminate short-term rentals is so that they can increase bed night rates. I would welcome the opportunity to go head-to-head -head with those competitors in a way that promotes community and homes and jobs and something other than a gig economy for the people that work in our vacation rentals. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Riley. Stacy Carter, followed by Katie Beacock, followed by Kent um, Kasikian. Thank you. My name is Stacy Carter. I live in unincorporated Marin County, specifically the Tam, neighbor, Tam Valley neighborhood of Mill Valley. A number of the proposed requirements are either not necessary or may be a bit of an overreach for some of the communities of unincorporated Marin County. In short, this package of requirements is presented as a one-size-fits-all that's been mentioned before that won't work for all properties in all communities. I operate a hosted STR, which is effectively an apartment on the bottom floor of our hillside property, which is our primary residence. And we've operated it as an STR since 2017 for two reasons. One, we had aging parents for whom we wanted the flexibility to move in to that apartment as they went through their aging process. 
and also for storage. The only available storage on our property, because we don't have a garage like many others, is behind the apartment. The only way to access it is through the apartment. So a long-term tenant just simply doesn't work for our family. In reviewing the proposed requirements, I found many to be very welcome. If not already followed in the case of my STR, including those related to noise and emergency preparedness and safety, I'm the block captain for our neighborhood resource groups. So I'm very familiar with the needs for these measures. However, there are some requirements that would actually have a negative impact to our neighborhood, the first being parking, one bedroom STR, and out of the hundreds of guests we've hosted over the last six years, maybe one or two had more than one car in their party, and frankly, they leave in the morning, go explore the area, come home at night, they don't park um, other than um, overnight in our neighborhood. And if we're required to have, I read two spaces, I guess it's one, if we're required to have one space available on, you know, on-site parking space, on-site parking space, that would mean that we would need to park our car on the street, and so that would take up a parking space all day. And so this, this particular requirement just does not make any sense. Exterior signage, again, we live in a, in a residential neighborhood. My neighbors would find this signage to be, frankly, too commercial and unsightly. It's just not necessary. The current requirement to notify our neighbors of the rental and the hotline to call have been sufficient. Perhaps an additional measure the county can take is to send letters directly to our surrounding neighbors in order to ensure notification. Bottom line, the, um, the signage is just simply not necessary. So our, I want to also mention our STR has employed uh, two different cleaners who live in the county who very much rely on the income in order to live in Marin County. I would ask that the commission take my remarks and all the remarks that we're hearing today on both sides, so to speak, into account and perhaps modify them so they align with the type of property that the STR is along with the location and total housing stock in those communities. Thank you. Thank you. Um, sorry, okay. Uh, Katie Beacock, followed by Kent Katikian and Esther, no last name. Good afternoon, commissioners. I know everybody's tired of this subject. <laughs> I am, um, but anyway, thank you for your time today. I've spent a lot of time over the last many years on this subject, so I will be repetitive. The first thing I'm going to be repetitive about is the signage. I feel it's really, really wrong for property owners to have to put a sign on their property that says, hey, this property can be vacant part of the time because it's rental. I think it has worked very well since we've been notifying people within the realm, and there's phone numbers for them to call, so I ask you to relook at that part. I've owned since Stinson Beach Real <laughs> Seadrift Realty, excuse me, it's been a long day. Seadrift Realty for decades now. It is a passion of mine. Seadrift homes are never going to be affordable housing. They never have been. They never will be. They have their own security department that takes care of garbage, that takes care of any loud parties. You know, it's all painted so negatively. And I want to say, as someone who grew up in Mill Valley in the 40s and 50s, I know how it feels to have your neighborhoods changed. My county has changed. I'd love to say the last 100,000 homes were not built, but they have been. We all need to work together to solve it, and short-term rental bans is not the only way to go forward. And I think instead, it's caused a lot of middle-income people. For instance, I have five children, and the youngest two children have five children between them. We love to vacation together. 
I can't afford to take them all to a hotel and feed them breakfast, lunch, and dinner, besides which having a four-year-old eat out at breakfast, lunch, and dinner is not the most fun. So I hate to see us take away the family experiences, take away how Stinson Beach has been used. My grandparents rented in Stinson Beach. This is the way it's been for 100 years. Please, please look at these regulations and try to make a little more sense. Thank you. Thank you. Kent Katikian, followed by Esther, followed by Rachel Taylor. Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, my name is Kent Katikian. I live in Bolinas. Um, I wrote you a letter dated October 17th, and my, um, and my wife's experience in Bolinas is um, summarized in the beginning of that letter. I won't go over it. The, um, I think the last speaker um, made a very salient point, which is that um, these regulations should be crafted to the nature of each town that um, will be affected. Um, Stinson Beach has never really had affordable housing. Bolinas does have and has had a history of affordable housing. However, that affordable housing in Bolinas is quickly um, dissipating. It's dissipating because of short-term rentals. Um, I want to speak to some technical points related to the, the draft um, regulations. Um, if you allow um, corporate entities, corporations, limited liability companies, um, and limited partnerships to own short-term rentals, then you're going to have a great deal of difficulty, if not impossible, um, enforcing um, the following provisions, that short-term rental licenses should not be transferable. It would be very easy for shareholders. In a, if the corporation owns the property, the shareholders of the corporation can sell their shares to somebody else. The corporation continues to own the property and um, continues to have the license. Only one license shall be issued per short-term rental property owner. Um, the, what will, if it hasn't happened already, what will happen is you will see the stacking of corporate entities. You'll have corporations which will buy um, property, different properties through West Marin. They'll put each one in a separate LLC. Each LLC will be owned by that, wholly owned by that corporation, and they'll evade your regulation. Um, they can even make the structure more complex than the simple one I've described. The um, third is the term of the license expires immediately and automatically upon any change of ownership of the property. Again, um, you can have, um, that's impossible to enforce against corporate entities. Um, there's no public record of the, the identity of owners of corporations. And I'm speaking with over 30 years of experience um, practicing law where in many cases I was attempting to pierce the corporate veil or enforce a judgment. Um, against a corporation that had very limited assets where the owners of the corporation would be liable. Can you wrap up, please, Mr. Katikian? Thank the, you. Um, the last um, um, hosted versus unhosted. Unhosted um, um, short-term rentals, they're micro-hotels. Unhosted really don't um, have the serious impact on the availability of housing stock or the affordability of housing stock that unhosted um, STRs do. Unhosted STRs, the potential owner of one is making a calculation based upon future rental income, probable 
income from the property. Um, somebody who's interested in owning the property to live in the property will look at the, what they can afford based upon their income and the, the cost of raising a family. Thank and you, Mr. Katikian. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cut you off. Thank you. Esther, Thank followed by Rachel Taylor, followed by Alita Doldan Shulman. Esther, I'm going to put her aside in case she went to go park her car. Rachel Taylor. Thank you. I'll hold her name too. Um, Alita Doldan Shulman. Okay. They're literally in my parking lot. Um, okay, Michael um, in, from Inverness. I can't read your last name. It starts with a P. Par. Thank you. Sorry about that. Um, historical points about the link between um, short-term rental regulation and affordable housing. Um, so basically, this argument came from San Francisco and the many other. Uh, areas that have a rent-controlled housing stock. Um, over time, long-term uh, owners preferred short-term rental in order to evade rent control. That is the single link between short-term rental and affordable housing. That condition does not exist in West Marin. Um, we've heard repeatedly from people from Bolinas claiming that short-term rental has impacted the affordability of housing in Bolinas. I think it's pretty clear that that is within the context of the general great difficulty of building affordable housing in Bolinas, the increasing in prices and the incredible scarcity, uh, rather lack of new housing being brought online. This is not the fault of uh, short-term rentals. Um, I also wanted to highlight quickly for the group an analysis that I sent um, in an attachment to a letter that I provided indicating that it is very much the case that anyone buying a short-term rental investment property today will make an immediate loss. Um, if you look at the numbers, there is a website uh, that's called, um, <clears throat> uh, I, I forget the name, but basically they get very detailed data on housing price, occupancy, and short-term occupant rates. Across West Marin, you would be losing 30% day one if you bought a single-family house in order to rent it out as an Airbnb. So the concept that there are corporate people coming and buying these out for that purpose is just simply not factual. Um, in addition, there was a database of about 948 short-term rentals that was disclosed on this, the county website. Um, I did a detailed analysis of that looking at every single short-term rental that exists, and I wanted to highlight for you the super majority of these, um, over 90%, are owned by individuals in a living trust. These are families. These are individuals. These are not corporations. There is only one case out of the entire universe of rentals, not just in unincorporated West Marin, but throughout the entire county, of a corporation that owns more than one short-term rental. So the idea that there are corporations running around gobbling up affordable housing stock to make short-term rentals, again, 0.1% of the existing short-term rentals could possibly be characterized as falling into that category. 
Can you wrap up, please? I can. Um, I would just appreciate if this uh, forum would make its decisions based on the data rather than based on anecdotes. It does seem most of those anecdotes seem to come from bulliness, so perhaps bulliness needs its own set of regulations rather than that, which deeply and negatively impacts the economic interests of a wide variety of tourist areas in the coastal zone. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask back um, Esther, and followed by Rachel Taylor, followed by Alita Doldon, if you have returned from the parking lot. Oh, great. Yep, go ahead. If you could just let us know your name, that would be great. <laughs> okay. Uh, my name is Rachel Dano Taylor, but before the yep. clock begins, yep. am I allowed to distribute something that I felt was missing from the presentation, just a simple map? You may, if you want to hand it to, yep, to Cindy, actually. Or, yep, okay, great. I uh, scrapped my, what I was going to say based on what's going on, so I'm just going to try to raise a few questions, a few things that I saw. Um, one, I do think it's, a, it's important to get on record that the West Marin residents have a history of rejecting visitors. This is obvious with the Bolinas Border Patrol. We all know about them and um, taking away wayfinding signs, issuing, making barricades, issuing false tickets. Inverness residents, when the Point Reyes National Seashore was being established, the Inverness residents actually fought against visitors going down Sir Francis Drake Road and instead proposed the development of a road right through Muddy Hollow that would have gone through the heart of the park out to the lighthouse just to avoid them going through a public road. So this is continuing today, and I'm, I'm asking you, please, do not let this continue. Do not let this history of rejecting visitors repeat itself. Something missing in the presentation is this map. This, the question was asked about, are these regulations exclusive to the West Marin? Yes, they're exclusive to a zone that is over 90% public land. They're exclusive to an area that has three national parks and three state parks and over 100 miles of public coastline. So yes, we do need to pay attention to the, this is the exclusive region that they're limiting. And please, please ask more questions about that. Why rush the process? That it's very evident by people here today. It's evident by the nine inches of commentary you have. There are a lot of questions. This should not be rushed. This has serious impacts on people's lives in all directions. To the economy of the community, please don't rush it. We need more understanding of what the impacts will be. Um, and then another question that I have that keeps on circulating is, why just vacation homes? Why only vacation homes? These regulations about septic, about water, if they're going to be vacation homes, which are really a small fraction, and these homes aren't used that much, why not residential homes? Why not long-term rental homes? These homes are used every single day. So if you are going to go down this road of having these regulations going towards an exclusive area, exclusive homes, please broaden it. Let's have that dialogue. Um, uh, lastly, I just want to talk about vacation rentals in general. The West Marin is historically comprised of a vacation, of a vacation rental home. <laughs> My home, built in 2007, was built for a vacation home, exclusive. It wasn't until I bought it uh, seven years ago that my husband and I, I'm wrapping, decided to, um, to open it up to visitors. We actually believe we are taking pressure off of the community by sharing our home with visitors, which the county also needs to provide visitors. <coughs> Thank you.
Thank you. Um, okay. Um, before we call up anyone else, I just want to reach back and see from my speaker parking lot if Esther or Alita Doldan Shulman are great. Thank you. Followed by Alita Doldan Shulman. No, oh, that's you. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> Esther Winner. I, yeah. I did lots okay. of things. I, Thank you. I, I moved my car and I edited my for two minutes. <laughs> okay. Thank you. So um, I own a property at 28 Calle del Pinos in Stinson Beach for 19 years. Since then, it has been both a vacation rental and a vacation home for my personal use. The previous owner also had a vacation rental during 12 years. So we're talking about 30 years of vacation rental. I have, I'm going to make two points. One is about the STR designation. Uh, I'm a county architect, Marine County architect with 40 years practice and throughout my years of work and experience, properties have never been sown by ownership. So it brings to, my, to the attention that the STR designation in the ordinance ends with a property change with when the property changes ownership. STRs are a designated residential use and do not need a use permit. Consequently, the STR denomination remains with the property and it would be, uh, it would make sense to have that designation grandfather into the property. So please keep the STR designation attached to the property as illegal it should be and grandfather to the property. Now, in my street, Calle del Pinos, we have a harmonious relationship with our neighbors. We have created solutions that apply to our street for road maintenance, bridge repair, hardscape, landscape, noise, garbage, parking, etc. Our system and cooperation work very well for us, and so the over-regulating in your ordinance is an additional and necessary burden for the smallest tier operators that we are. It will also become a financial burden. Please simplify your draft to be more of a general guidance for SDR superator and away from the escalating rules and regulations that do not apply to the marine coastal communities, their neighborhoods, their neighborhoods needs, and the harmonious relationships with the community. And since I still have a few minutes, I would like to say that. You have two seconds. <laughs> Thank you so much. Nice try. I appreciate the creativity. Um, uh, it did, has Esther returned from the parking lot? Okay. She may have given up altogether. Mary Tesluk, followed by Kathleen Hurley, followed by David Lewis. Mary Tesluk. I will hold her card out as well. Kathleen Hurley. Great, thank you. David Lewis. Thank you. Afternoon, Commissioners. David Lewis. I'm Director for UC Cooperative Extension in Marin. Um, as I thought about this agenda item, I found myself being a student of history again, and I pulled off my shelves my copy of Farming on the Edge and reconnected with the long-standing arc of policy that Marin County has provided in leadership and support of, of local agriculture. Uh, it was a, a hard-fought debate, but agriculturalists were in support of A60 and the 1973 countywide plan. Not all, but, but there were significant leaders, and this book covers that. Uh, you come forward to the uh, 2007 countywide plan update and the natural resource and agricultural chapter, a precedent-setting chapter, really, when you think about the state of California, and in it, goals that really support the viability of local farms and ranches. 
Similarly, the 2013-2014 uh, uh, local coastal plan update supports ag diversification and the ways in which both production of agricultural products but efforts to direct market and ag use agricultural hospitality were also supported. And through that arc, uh, Marin's local farm families have really innovated. They've brought different kinds of uh, supportive activities onto their farms, direct marketing, farmstead products, again, agricultural hospitality that has really been successful and that we have seen signs of success not only because you have fourth, fifth, and sixth generation producers, but you now have indications that the, the, the uh, income revenue stream for those farms is now diversified as well. Uh, those comments are in our letters. I hope you'll take a chance to look at that letter. Um, what I'd like to, to close with is just uh, kind of a, a way of really underscoring that the circles, we, we've come full circle. Some of the ag leaders that are in here that were featured around the A70 debate and the leadership, it's their offspring that are coming up to the podium to talk to you about what they're doing. So you'll recognize names like Strauss and Pancha. Um, I thank you for taking these comments into consideration. Know that we're here as Cooperative Extension as a resource for you, for staff, and the community going forward. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Lewis. Um, okay, I'm going to go back to the parking lot people. Esther, Mary Tesluk, or Kathleen Hurley. Okay. Um, will somebody just kind of raise their hand when they come back for me? That would be great. Uh, Layla Monroe, followed by Harriet Moss. Yeah. Thank you, Layla Monroe. Um, I am a resident of Bolinas, mom of two kids in the Bolinas Stinson School. We own a business employing 30 people in Bolinas, um, and we also live on an agricultural property that is, uh, has a number of acres in working production. Um, I am also a land use and environmental attorney. So I um, am part of the West Marin Residence for Housing. We've been looking very closely at this. I've been working on this issue for over five years. Also, I was on the Bolinas Community Land Trust. Because we have witnessed that we cannot run our businesses, we cannot serve visitors if we do not have housing. We turned our short-term rentals into long-term units. Um, very quickly, on the policy itself, I would encourage anyone who has questions about the data to read the housing element. It is a statement of fact that short-term rentals are one of the drivers of the housing crisis in the county. That is also uh, mirrored in the local coastal program. We don't need to debate and wave our hands about facts any further. There are decades worth of experiential data from our fire department, our, our school. You read some of the testimonies from our uh, school board members, our fire department members. Um, there is a housing crisis that is exacerbated by short-term rentals. This housing policy will not solve everything, but if it is holistic, if it is well-designed, it will increase the number of long-term rentals. A couple of ways to do that. Please take a close look at what San Diego has done. 1% of the housing stock in the majority of San Diego, with the exception of Mission Beach. Let's just do 1% of housing stock in all of Marin, except for Dillon Beach and Sea Drift. I think that would solve a lot of our problems. Um, the, the issue of hosted versus unhosted has created a great a, a number of challenges with the creation of CAPS. With our time limit challenge, we could say, okay, let's start registration of all the hosted, see where we are, and then we can decide how many unhosted we would like to have. Um, 
ag exemption, living on an ag property, I would just offer, please don't let that be the uh, exception that ruins this policy. Allow ag to be part of the hosted. Let hosted be slightly more flexible so that people can take time off, but it needs to be also very closely overseen so that it does not become um, a, basically a hole that, that eviscerates the policy. Uh, incentives have not been addressed today. We also need incentives for people to move from short-term back to long-term. Unfortunately, due to the nature of this meeting, one of the uh, moms who was going to speak today, who's a realtor, was going to mention that, I believe that was in her comment. Um, but please take a close look of the, at that. That is part of what makes it a holistic policy. So final point, unfortunately, well, I would like to say first, thank you so much to the CDA for their hard work. However, there is a structural inequity in the way that these meetings are being held. 99% of us speaking today are among the 1% of people who own property, potentially own two properties or more in one of the most expensive counties in the country. We've heard from one renter today. Our staff, community members who are working, who are struggling to keep their housing, cannot attend a meeting at 1 o'clock in person at Civic Center, please make, make your next meeting in the evening with the opportunity to participate remotely. That is essential. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ms. Monroe. Um, Har uh, Harriet Moss. Thank you. I'm Harriet Moss. I've lived in Stinson Beach for the last 33 years. I just want to thank the CDA staff very much because I know this has taken up much of their time and they're doing a great job. I hate to actually contradict one thing that we saw that Jeremy was talking about, which is that the number that's being used right now in the, in the proposed draft ordinance is actually not the number of unhosted STRs. It is the total number that includes both hosted and unhosted STRs. And that's the number that's being proposed as an initial cap on unhosted SDRs. And I think it's super important to actually understand that because it's getting very confusing. Um, so I have lived in West Marin for several decades. I've been on lots of boards and councils and I've been very involved in the life of West Marin communities for the past three decades. And I can say unequivocally that the last five years, the doubling of short-term rentals in the communities in West Marin has had a staggering impact on who's able to live there. There are literally no short-term rent, I mean long-term rentals, there's plenty of short-term rentals in Stinson Beach, but literally no long-term rentals anymore. And when I moved there in the early 90s, there were probably as many short-term renters as there were people who lived there full-time. Steve Drift has always been a short-term rental community. It should stay that way. It sounds like Dillon Beach has been that way as well. But the other communities in West Marin, many of them have been vibrant and active communities that truly have been hollowed out by the vast number of short-term rentals that are there now. Our fire department, when I actually, as recently as four years ago, their budget has doubled. When I moved there, there was one paid position. There are now six firefighters and one administrative person. And we hear about Measure W revenues they get $122,000 a year. That doesn't even pay for one of those positions. We've had to have so many positions because there's nowhere for the people who used to be volunteer firefighters to live at this point. Um, we've also heard about access to the coast. The, uh, well, actually, I want to go back to the, to the... Ms. Moss, I'm sorry, you're going to have to wrap up. Okay. 
thank you for the time. There's so much to say about this draft ordinance, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to input on it. Thank you very much. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, um, the people who are in the parking lot, Esther, Mary Tesluk, if you have returned and would like to address the commission. Okay, if not, Jan Nullen, no? Jen, sorry, in Tib from, from Tiburon? Thank you. So, I'm sorry. Miller's a hard name. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to make a couple of quick comments. Um, uh, one, the fact is that we are on uh, multifamily units, and a lot of multifamily units are not the same. Uh, we have a rental that's a townhouse and has a really private entrance and a garage, and there's just a couple, um, there's very few units altogether and it's very private. We've never had any complaints from neighbors and um, uh, so I just, I feel like putting a ban on all multifamily units is not fair and um, that should be looked at and, and be more specific. And then also um, grandfathering in people that have run successful businesses and take great care and making sure that neighbors are happy and guests are happy and are available um, would appreciate that. So I guess that's really it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very yeah. much. Uh, Jennifer Golub followed by Jan and John O'Connor and Nancy. Oh wow, I'm definitely gonna butcher this one. Point, point raise. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jennifer Golub. I want to thank you for your stamina. Um, Point Reyes National Seashore is one of the most beautiful places in the world. But ironically, there's virtually no hotels. And I urge we welcome as many people as possible. Embracing short-term rentals actually as a gift. I believe we should welcome families who want to spend a weekend at the beach and go hiking and make a spaghetti dinner for their kids in the comfort of a clean and safe and nourishing home. And that's what I believe I provide. I welcome hardworking people. I welcome people who are young, currently have a 21-year-old at the house visiting, and um, old and black and brown and from the East Bay and from the city who want to visit a national seashore for an affordable and accessible weekend. The moratorium on STRs and the drafted proposal limits accessibility and at its worst, and I know that this is not the intention, but it recalls a national embarrassment of redlining. By limiting access, you're restricting who can come. And the proposed list of requirements is another form of redlining. It's obstructive red tape, and it limits access. I've lived in Marin for 25 years, and this is something that it's very hard to get data on, but I can tell you there's a very active bias. NIMBYism, or not in my backyard, is a prevalent sentiment. I've personally been the victim of it. And my concern is this has been a campaign that's been very well-funded, and I call it a campaign intentionally people who really want to restrict access because they don't want change. Well, I'm sorry, it's not 1978. 
life has changed. New people are coming. I don't believe that this low-cost housing argument is substantiated in any way. I don't see the data. I don't see the relationship. I do know that 40% of upper-middle-class San Francisco residents have relocated since the pandemic. And I have to believe that part of them have come to West Marin. Local public school attendance is at a record high. I urge we encourage as many rentals as possible. It's a boost to our economy. I urge that you cut this list of requirements down to necessary, say, five points. If you could Equity up, must rank it. first in our order of priorities. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I'm sorry to have to cut people off. Um, Esther, Mary Teslick, or Kathleen Hurley, if you have returned. Great. And, and um, I'm sorry, you are. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Would you, if, if you can go after, after, oh, okay. Hi, my name is Nancy Vanger. I live in Point Reyes. I have for 27 years. I was really surprised to see on the board that one of the values of the county priorities is preferring and preserving permanent housing inventory. If that were real and not just wishful thinking, then there would be some way to replace the homes that have been taken by short-term rentals with affordable homes or homes that employees can live in. Just this week in the Point Raised Light, a, a restaurant that's been in Inverness for 20 years and bakery that's been in Point Raised for 15 years have threatened to close for lack of employees, uh, temporarily for the winter, but because of lack of employees. They said that, you know, they can't keep employees. It costs $10 for one day commute from the 101 out to Point Raisin back now. It's 20 miles each way. And when young people or anybody on minimum wage hits that gasoline bill, they can't work there anymore. So there is, we need employees throughout the community. We have a radio station, a, a health clinic, a pharmacy, a bookstore, community center, we have many, many, a building supply store. We have many businesses in Point Reyes, and they all need employees. I don't think anybody has any problem with mom-and-pop owners who want to rent a, a place for, you know, um, short-term rental, especially admiring people who either let the caretakers live for free or create homes, ADUs, for their workers. That is a real solution. But just to, and, and there is no direct line between lowering short-term rentals and affordable homes just appearing by magic. But certainly, if affordable homes take up all the available rentals and more, then when it comes time to do affordable homes, that space is taken. I think we should go back to the 2018 levels of short-term rentals that seem to have a balance for all businesses. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Kathleen Hurley, um, and I apologize. I'm Kathleen Hurley. I thank you very much for reading the letter that I sent. I see it's in the stack, and uh, I even submitted pictures of my uh, two little beach houses that I have. And, and um, I looked for 10 years before I could find a property I could afford 
uh, to have. And I just, it was like a little slice of heaven to be able to uh, get these two cottages. They're 390 square foot each that I could rent out part time and then I could uh, use that against my mortgage costs and be able to afford to come out and, and spend time there with my friends and my family. Um, I'd like to continue to be able to do that. I've operated them for 15 years, uh, first with Oceanic Realty, renting them out, and then uh, more recently under VRBO, I have a different property manager renting them. But as you probably know, when you rent these houses out, there's strict requirements for it, and the people that rent it rate you publicly, or they can, and I've got out of five stars, I'm very proud to say, 4.9 stars. If I were running some kind of a dive or had garbage out in the street or making noises or whatever, there'd be complaints, and that I've had none. So when I, when I read through this draft ordinance, which right now to get a license is one page and a check, but I started reading this, and it reminded me uh, of when I was going to take a scuba diving lesson and said, if you don't do this, you're going to die. And if you do that, you're going to die. And if you do this, you're going to die. Well, I started reading these pages. It's like, if you don't have this much parking, you can't rent it. You can't rent two places. And I'm thinking, my short-term license is going to die. You know, like, there's like 12 different times I'm reading through, and it's like, oh, the license is going to be killed because it's very burdensome, and there's just so much here. And a lot of it seems redundant. You know, we have the water district comes out every two years and checks things. We have different mechanisms. We don't need to hire new staff to come out and police these things. And the, um, yeah, It's very disappointing. I understand some places have problems, but not all do. And I think Stinson Beach was built as a beach community for vacation people to come out. And uh, I'd like to keep doing it the way we are, and I hope you'll consider grandfathering in some of the, the ones that have successfully run in place. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ms. Hurley. Um, Mary Tesluk, Esther, uh, Jan and John O'Connor, Susan Rangich. Thank you. Hi, I'm uh, John O'Connor, and it may surprise you to learn that I am not young, um, <laughs> but I'm here to speak on behalf of young families. Uh, for many years, when I had a young family, uh, we go to Stinson one week a year. We could afford that. My most treasured memories are of that one week I got every year. Now <coughs> that we're no longer young, I could afford a down payment. And we don't care. My wife and I no longer care about going out there in the summertime. We get no more, no greater pleasure than renting out to families like ours. Uh, why would you ever limit the access of young families to a beach community like this? I help, I only have a mortgage, I could pay, a, I could afford a down payment. It is a virtuous cycle for me to rent to young families like we used to be. And I would hate you, I hate to see an end to this. It would be a terrible, terrible, terrible tragedy to limit the access of young families to Stinson Beach. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Susan Rangich, followed by uh, William Plevy. And that is all I have, so if you want to address the commission, you can um, 
fill out a speaker card or you can just <coughs> in when we're done. Yes, uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Um, I don't really have prepared comments to make. I'm responding to what I've heard in the room and what you've heard. And I think there's so much nuance here. I think for one thing, there needs to be an appeal process. Um, perhaps you could consider that. Um, I'm also here to speak about our lived experience. My husband and I bought uh, a home here uh, over 11 years ago. It was a vacation rental prior to us buying it. And we bought it with the intention of becoming part of the fabric of the community. And we have done that. But that fabric has been torn apart. We now live on a tiny, we live on a tiny lane where our access is often blocked. Our lived experience is coming home to find an Airbnb person parked on the only entrance and egress. And the only solution is to call the sheriff, call the manager, etc. Life has become difficult, to say the least. Then we have um, the residents right next door to us where weekly the septic truck had to come weekly to pump out the septic because it was operating on overflow. I talked at length to Kathleen Kilgariff about this and I have to compliment the staff, but at the same time, that shouldn't have happened. Uh, that's like a 747 landing beside your house when that thing whirs up and whatever. Furthermore, I hear this thing about coastal access and jobs, and I'd really like to say that what we see right next door to us is people unpacking their groceries, their cases of wine that didn't come from our store, and staying to party in a house that isn't their house with no regard for the neighbors who aren't their neighbors. Once in a while, <laughs> they are taking advantage to go hiking, etc. But I also think that's been misportrayed as, you know, uh, hmm, how to put it here, it's framed as public service that people are offering. I'd like to ask you to wrap up, I'm sorry. Yes. Thank you. So it's not a happy experience. Thank you. Thank you. William Plevy. Hello, thank you for your time. Uh, I wasn't planning on speaking, so I apologize if it's not uh, extremely coherent, but it seems like there's a lot of issues with the coastal communities that should be addressed specifically to them. I'm here because I'm a, I have a young family in San Francisco and I'm thinking about buying a home, and if I found out that the home I'm looking at in San Rafael is in county, not city, so, I started figuring out that there's much different rules for city versus county, which make a young family like myself looking to afford this home, and it has several abilities for me to have rental units unaccessible to me, which makes the home less affordable to me. And it's also hurting the homeowner because they're not getting this home sold because it doesn't really function well as a single family home. And what I'm looking to do is buy a home for my family and share it with the community and provide short-term rental and make a little money to supplement my income in my mortgage and I think you're impacting everyone by having blanket rules that aren't tailored specifically to that community 
and in terms of this sp specific house, right across the street is city, and I would be county. And there's this discrepancy that doesn't seem to make sense to me. And I think one of the ideas that you guys put forth is this ability of housing, or the shortage of housing. And I just looked on my phone and looked at Craigslist, and there's 4,000 rentals in the city. So I don't know if it's substantiated that there's really the shortage of housing, or if it's just this idea that put forth to limit short-term rentals. But 4,000 listings in Marin County seems to be a lot, and I would hope that we would really look at whether there is this issue that's used to promote the regulations. And <coughs> again, there's these, there's these things like, you know, hosted versus unhosted, which should be very important to look at. I want to live in my home. I'll be regulating. I can be accountable. There can be, you know, if you have a couple penalties, you lose your license. But I would hope that you guys would think about making rules that allow people the opportunity to do these things within the framework. If you want to have septic rules or whatever, you know, access rules, parking rules. The property I'm looking at is an acre. There's four garages. There's plenty of parking. The units wouldn't be near my neighbors. So it's just improportionately affecting this property, which is unintended, I'm sure. But it seems like the rules need to be very specific to coastal communities versus unincorporated areas that have different guidelines. Make a, like I said, parking regulation. You can, I, I understand these rules, but having a blanket rule that affects everyone, in effect, hurts a lot of people. Um, and then I just don't understand the ADU, JD, JADU rule. Like, if I, if I want to do a short-term rental, does that mean I'm going to pull out a kitchen? I don't, it might be me just getting educated on this stuff, but it seems like there should be, you know, you want to make, I want to move my family into Marin. I want to make a home. It's expensive. I'm probably not the person you're worried about being able to afford housing, but it is someone that's looking to move into the community and is having struggles looking at the regulations and understanding how they are going to impact me. Thank you very much. Yeah. Is there anyone else who would like to address the commission at this time about the short-term rental issue? If you could come to the podium. Thank you. And if you could tell us your name, that would be great, too. Oh, and I'm from uh, Dillon Beach. Um, I think, so for me, my, one of my first concerns was um, I never received any notification at all about this going on. The only way I knew is a local real, realtor sends out a newsletter, which I sort of go over every now and then, and I come upon this, and I click on the site. And that was the first, I actually called Kathleen. That was the first indication, and it was just prior to this meeting, that I had any idea. Now, the finance department knows how to contact me, and they have my email address. We've owned the home for 30 years. Um, we built it, actually. And I would just, if I was, um, well, if my neighbor was building something or if I were building something, I would get a notification about that. And I was just sort of appalled that, because this is a really big deal, that um, owners wouldn't be notified in some way. So maybe you can find a way of doing that, get the information from the finance department or something like that. And I think my, um, just my other concern in listening to all of this, Dillon Beach is, is different. I just said to my husband, I don't think after listening to this lady's comment, I would, don't, wouldn't really want to live full time 
next to a rental that was having parties and a lot of people going in and out. Dillon Beach is much different from that, so I have the concern about that is the parking, and I did look it up. So most of the lots in the village, not Oceana Marin, are 35 feet. So we have a parking pad in front. We can keep two cars there, but you know, you go down to 18 feet for something, um, we still have only 35 feet, so two cars wouldn't be able to go there. And the other thing is about, you're talking about corporations, and we have an LLC. Um, our children actually own the property, and I manage it now. We've been renting it out, and this is just since 2020. We've been renting it out since uh, 2015, and up until that point, we used it as a, as a weekend getaway for us, and then we found that we weren't doing it anymore. And my goddaughter talked me into uh, putting it on VRBO. But so they was legally advised that they create a corporation. That this, so they, it's an LLC. So you look at it as a corporation, but we all have the same <laughs> last name, and we're all you know we're all related. So I just look at it as a, it not. You know, it's not like a corporation came in and bought this for, a biz for business purposes. So thank you for hearing me, and um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, and I hope you take these communities um, on a more individual basis than the entirety of Marin County. Thank you. Is there anyone else who would like to address the commission before I close a public comment? Okay, seeing none, I'm going to close the public comment and I'm going to bring it back to the commission. For, yeah, and Mia, I think before we move on, maybe we take a 10-minute bio break. Okay, so we will, we will reconvene at 3.50. Thank you, I meant to do that. Thank you, thank you. <coughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Commissioner Stepanisich. Thank you. That is that is my specialty. I am motivated. Okay, we're going to bring things back to the commission for questions and discussion. And first, Jeremy, if you want to clarify what our what our alternative, and by alternative that doesn't mean or, but w the options that we have to add to the ordinance or to consider to include in the ordinance. Sure. Reminder first, that we are not taking any action today. Right. Sure. <laughs> first, I want to thank you know all the people who spoke today. I think um, you know. We have gotten so much feedback and input from people today, plus all the comments. And uh, you know, I can remember few, if any, um, topics like this where we've gotten really so well informed, such uh, differing opinions. People are very passionate about it, and um, they're really bringing a lot of information to us. So I, I just want to express my appreciation to everybody. Um, typically, I'd try to start going through some of the uh, issues that we've heard. Uh, I'm not going to do that today. We have heard so many. I think probably in the interest of time, I'll allow all of you to direct me and focus me in terms of responses, questions you want to have me answer. Um, however, I do want to just remind you of the three alternatives that we are asking for straw votes on today. One is the alternative, alternative of exempting agricultural properties 
from the short-term rental chapter that's being proposed altogether. Um, the next is to include both unhosted and hosted short-term rentals in the caps. Uh, and just to reiterate what Harriet said earlier, the numbers that we showed are the combination of uh, unhosted and hosted. Um, they're not um, disaggregated. Uh, um, and third, uh, whether to establish a countywide cap of short-term rentals, and we would anticipate establishing that cap is essentially what the number is that we have uh, as of now. So those are the three um, alternatives for you to consider, although, of course, you can add any other options that you may want. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. Okay, I think that um, rather than taking those those alternatives first, I'd like to um, invite the commissioners to ask staff questions and offer comment. And while sometimes it may be considered advantageous to be part of the 1%, I think part of the 16% is the advantage today. So, Commissioner Desser, I am going to let you lead off with the questions. Thank you. Um, I don't have a lot of questions. I have a lot of suggestions. My, the one question I would ask, but I'm, in, again, in the interest of time, I'm not really looking for an answer to it because I believe that that barn door is closed or open or whatever is the way that a door is when it's no longer an issue, um, which is what was the matter, what is the matter with the existing ordinance? Um, well, I don't understand why it couldn't have been modified. Uh, it doesn't seem like there were problems with it for many people that I've talked to, including some people at the county, <clears throat> in terms of how we, how complaints were handled, et cetera. But as I say, that that ship has sailed, I guess, to really mix up the metaphors. So I'm going to focus on the ordinance that we have before us and how we might make it better to respond to all of the comments that we heard today, which are also expressed in our big stack of um, letters. So I do appreciate all the hard work, especially Kathleen that's gone into crafting the ordinance. As I said, I think it could have been easier and resulted in a less complex ordinance to have amended the existing one. But having said that, I now have a number of suggestions that I think will reduce the duplication and redundancy, which many people have made reference to um, of this ordinance before us, including deleting several specific requirements that I think are already established in the county code. Um, so bear with me, it's a little bit in the weeds, but I think that it is really important. Um, starting with the purpose of the chapter, I would modify, and, and I'll give you my copy here since I'm sure you're furiously taking notes on everything I'm saying, Thank you. but I'll, I'll, give, <laughs> I'll give this to you. Um, I would modify the purpose of the chapter to say the chapter establishes standards that regulate short-term rentals. This chapter is enacted to reduce the negative impacts of short-term rental activity, assure the health and safety of residents and visitors, preserve existing housing and communities while balancing the protection of private property rights, provide economic opportunities for Marin County residents, and provide visitor serving accommodations for coastal tourists. As a matter of just effective ordinance drafting, I think that the definitions at the back should be moved up here under the purpose. 
under applicability, I think a section regarding compliance using probably the language from the old ordinance is appropriate, something to the effect that Marin County shall maintain and manage either in the county itself or as previously, I think you guys use something called host compliance, um, with a vendor to provide a short-term rental complaint hotline. So I want to reinsert this hotline, which is not in this ordinance, um, that will accept complaints about short-term rentals received by calls and emails and notify the local contact person or property owner about the complaints. Um, I would, uh, getting to the alternatives, absolutely exempt agricultural stays from the ordinance. Under 41040B, I think that we meet, need to make a provision for operators, hosts. Again, these definitions also need to be clarified. They're kind of, words are used interchangeably. It's not always clear what we're talking about, what they mean. But that, and this was addressed by our council, or I guess it's going to be looked into by our council in the question that Don asked earlier. But I think that we should grandfather in, which I learned from Kathleen is now not politically correct language to use, but whatever the correct language would be, uh, um, who have had multiple short-term rentals on their property and have been in good standing on 1124, that they should be allowed to keep up to three short-term units as long as they otherwise qualify under the chapter or we are legally required to allow them to do that, uh, which we're going to get more information about, right? Um, on a single property, you're saying multiple on a Yes, property. because there are, we, we heard from the person in uh, Stinson that was having weddings. I, I know of at least two others where people for a long time have, without any problem, have been renting multiple units on their property. Um, under license for long-term leaseholder, a long-term leaseholder may obtain a short-term uh, rental license if they're a full-time resident at the property where the short-time rental is located and they have permission from the owner to use the property as a short-term rental. So this is, I hope, clear that what we're talking about here are people that lease their places but have permission from the owners to also use them as a short-term rental. Under uh, 040C, I'm proposing that we expand the uh, validity of the license to four years from two years. I think that this will both reduce the burden on the operator's host, again, whatever language you're using, as well as on the county for uh, um, having to process this. It's the license holder's responsibility to renew their license prior to expiration. A license expires immediately and automatically upon any change of ownership in the property except at the discretion of the agency director in the case of the death of one or more owners. This was again something that brought up if your spouse dies, you shouldn't automatically lose your license. I think that, um, well, as I go through this, you'll see, I am concerned about due process and opportunities to cure 
because uh, somebody was referring to this as it looked like a death every time uh, they read part of the statute to uh, give property, give the operators opportunities to cure problems, give the director discretion over violations or perceived violations. Um, I understand not wanting to have the administrative procedures embodied in the statute itself, but I think it's important to draft some administrative procedures before this comes back to us in November so that we can we have notice of what people are going to be expected to comply with. And, in, and applications uh, for new short-term rental licenses shall not be accepted or required until the agency director has made all of these administrative procedures public. Under the application process, one, I've added a, la a sentence, a long-term leaseholder may also apply, um, but must include writ written property owner authorization and contact information. Again, this is for renters who are offering their um, abodes as short-term rentals. In townships, so this is the second paragraph under the application process. In townships where there is a short-term rental cap per section below, wherever we get to on, the, on, on caps and numbers, limiting the number of unhosted short-term rentals, only applicants holding short-term rentals in good standing on January 1st, 2024 will be accepted, et cetera. License suspensions and revocations. I want to add a sentence at number two. According to the process described in section XX below, which includes an appeals process and sets forth an opportunity to cure. I really think we need to build due process into this ordinance for people who have been either perceived to be in violation or accidentally in violation, people need to explain what the problem is and there needs to be a procedure to hear, to hear that and to cure that. Um, this is just a suggestion on three there. Um, the Community Development Agency will maintain short-term rental license wait lists for townships where the number of unhosted short-term rental licenses exceeds the number of available licenses. Licenses for qualifying properties on the wait list right at this point in, in the statute say that they will uh, be issued on a first-come, first-served basis, and I'm wondering if it might not be more equitable to use a lottery system rather than whoever is sort of quickest on the draw. Um, again, there's more sort of I won't go over it now, but needing, if you're a renter, having a, a letter from an owner, that, a renter who isn't a short-term renter, a long-term renter, having a letter from an owner that's giving you permission. Um, oh. One of the requirements in the application materials 
is providing diagrams and floor plans. I mean, I, I think that we should be very flexible with this, just sketching something on a piece of paper, not requiring people to hire an architect to do plans of, uh, floor plans of their buildings. Under um, eight, for, for Roman numeral eight, if the rental property is served by a private water supply, well or spring, provide proof of a water supply permit with the county's Environmental Health Services Division or other regulatory authority. Nine, if the rental property is served by a private sewage dis, uh, disposal system, provide an, an inspection report from the last year confirming proper operation by an approved licensed professional. And I don't think that this is necessary every four years. I don't know how often it's necessary, but I really do think that we need to reduce the, the, the cost burden on people because I can tell you we're not getting rich off of our short-term rental. So, so, I mean, way not. And uh, so, so, so from, um, there is a belief on the part of some that some people are making a lot of money, and maybe they are. But I don't think that everybody is. And we have heard from so many people with short-term rentals that it enables them to stay in our community or it enabled them to be able to have a vacation place out here or their families to have vacation. These are, the, these are not necessarily really rich people by any means. And I think that, that we need to be as fair as possible, not, impo not impose unreasonable um, fees on people. So I, again, I don't know how often a, a um, sewage system needs to be inspected, but I would just ask, does it need to be every four years? That's assuming that you agree with the uh, uh, time frame for the permit. Otherwise, it's like every two years, right? Because that's, that's what it is under the, uh, under the um, ordinance. So this proof of a landline voice over internet protocol or radio, NOAA radio. Um, I'm gonna get to the safety stuff in a minute. First of all, AT&T isn't putting in any landlines. So if you have a landline, that's great, but you're not gonna get one if you don't. Second of all, if it's a VoIP uh, phone, usually if there's an emergency, the power has gone out. And if the power has gone out, then the internet doesn't work. Therefore, this voice over internet isn't gonna work. So if, you want, if, we, if we wanna make sure that there's a, an emer a way to get in touch with people during emergencies. And you have to assume that people are gonna have their cell phones because everybody does. But of course the cell phones don't work either. Uh, in some places there's not service and if the power goes out, then the internet isn't gonna work. I don't think the NOAA radios are really expensive. I, I, I don't know what they cost, but we could require that if it is felt um, that, it, that that's the only way to be in touch with people. So documentation of a vehicular evacuation route from the short-term rental property to an area of safety in case of an emergency, including proof that the evacuation route as posted near the door of the short-term rental. I've deleted this. We don't know where the area of safety is. 
because we don't know where the emergency is likely to be. Um, this is not a hotel. I mean, when you're in a large hotel and you've got the emergency route on the back of the door, that makes sense. Multiple exits, stairways, etc. These are houses. Most of them are not very big. You can figure out how to get out the front door. But beyond that, I, I, th this isn't really going to achieve anything. I think that the county needs to do a good neighbor slash emergency slash safety brochure, that it needs to have all of the emergency phone numbers, police, fire, Nixley, that it needs to have the emergency evacuation routes on there, which are different from when it's a tsunami versus when it's a fire. I, I mean, I, I'm not being funny. I'm entirely serious about this. And, and I think that the brochure should list all of the county regulations that you need to be in compliance with, rather than having them redundantly listed in this ordinance. Eight, a short, all short-term rental applicants shall attest to, attest to compliance with all building and safety requirements, including fire safety and defensible space. Now, in and of itself, that's redundant. But if it's important enough to state this that way, then we should do that. But um, asking people to sign something that they are you know, saying, yes, this is the truth, and we are uh, complying with this, we will hold them uh, to that commitment. Going down uh, to 16, I guess this is, all short-term rental applicants with properties served by a local water provider must provide water use bills or some other documentation from the water provider if volume-based bills are not available. Now, my understanding about the, I mean, 250 gallons of water a day seems plenty to me. I wouldn't argue with that. My understanding about the necessity to insert this in here, I believe has to do with excessive water use reported in Dillon Beach. Um, uh, sort of coming back to Dillon Beach for a minute, I would also be in favor of exempting Dillon Beach uh, from the caps, but not from all these other rules, and certainly not from the water rule. So I don't know if there's a way to do that. But, I mean, we've heard ample uh, testimony, last meeting and this one, and in the letters, Dillon Beach is a vacation community. It, it isn't, there aren't, I don't think there are schools there. There aren't markets easily accessed there. And again, it comes back to, I'm really sorry we couldn't do an overlay because the needs in each of these communities are very different, and we are hearing that. The Bolinas is very different from Dillon Beach, is very different from um, Inverness. And it's interesting, like, I'm the, only, I'm the only Marshall person here, I guess. We haven't heard much from the folks in Marshall. But... Um, it just seems to me, that, and Stinson is an interesting hybrid of vacation and permanent residence. So 
I wouldn't be in favor of exempting Stinson, but I, if there is, if there, if we're going to exempt farm stays, is there a way to exempt a community like Dillon Beach that's just all about vacation? And again, just coming back to the water, this may be appealed pursuant to Section X below. Again, give people a chance to explain, appeal, and cure rather than just boom, you're out. Tenant notification of county rules, coming back to what I spoke about before. The owner or operator of the short-term rental shall provide the guess. I mean, it's tenants gets used, again, is it a long-term tenant, a short-term tenant? This is a confusion of the statute. Uh, with a good neighbor and safety brochure prepared by the county at the time of their arrival. The brochure will include all the relevant Marin County statutes, e.g. noise and trash, as well as emergency service numbers, which I have... Uh, uh, already gone through. I also, I, I think there's some confusion about this exterior signage. First of all, the county doesn't even allow signs. Um, so, so, we, so we're not going to have, I, I don't think that what we're looking for is a sign on a fence. I think that there should be, and I think that this is how it is complied with, a, a plaque or something by the front door so that anybody who would walk up to the front door would see it and know who to contact in the event of a complaint, an emergency, anything. But not something that is visible from far away. I do think that people's concerns about robs, robbery, if people know that it's an empty, um, an empty home. I mean, the other kinds of issues that in here, if people are aware that there isn't somebody there all the time, are, are serious considerations. And I think that this can be dealt with very well by a little plaque by the front door that has uh, the necessary information. So number eight here, it says uh, that, I mean, these requirements for advertisements, again, how this is all gonna be enforced, I don't know. But, it, but not all advertising platforms allow a, a valid Marin County short-term rental license number. So obviously, if, if, you're gonna, if there's a reason to include that, um, at least understand that that is only where the platform allows such information. Uh, I have some other stuff about how to prove that you're the that you have permission for the hosted. Um, H one, I've already said that I think we should go from two years to four years. H3, failure to submit a timely application for a renewal of an existing short-term rental license shall result in that license not being renewed. This, too, should be appealable and include an opportunity to cure, and the process for this appeal needs to be enumerated here. The same as uh, five, a denial may be appealed and the opportunity to cure violation provided. License fee, I would add, uh, under uh, one, two, including business licenses and TOT registration. Then I'm suggesting deleting uh, two and three under the next section. Because the short-term short rentals have to apply, have to comply with all applicable 
county codes. And it seems like these re references are redundant to the requirements that already exist. And also, if, if, the, if these rules get changed in the broader code, then you're gonna have to come back and change them here too. So I just think simplify, simplify, simplify where possible. It's not going to... Uh, Which paragraph are you referring to here? Sorry. Okay, so now it's uh, under 050, 5.41050, 2 and 3. Oh, wait, 2, excuse me. For restricted structures? Wait a minute, where am I here? Uh, detrimental. Oh, I wonder if I put that. Well, Um, I think maybe I, I might have put that in the wrong place. A structure subject to... Uh, well, I, let me also just come back to the accessory dwelling unit or junior ADU. Many people here have uh, not understood why those are restricted, can't be used, and that's why I don't think we need to say this here. That's state law. That th Those weren't decisions that we made. So again, you could delete that because you've got to comply with state law, and state law says you can't use ADUs for short-term rentals. Um, I, too, had questions about um, the restricting multifamily dwellings or condominium units. I understand the logic uh, under the multifamily dwellings if they're apartment buildings. I wouldn't include condominiums with that. We had someone actually speak to the example that I was thinking of when it's a townhouse, and the townhouse is a separate unit, and I would leave it to condominium associations to create their own rules about whether you could have a short-term rental or not. It's not something that we need to weigh in on. The condominiums, unlike apartments, are n not necessarily going to be more affordable. I mean, we think that apartments are likely to be more affordable. I can understand we want to limit that. Um, coming back now to... Uh, C, below that, I've already spoken to this, where it's one short-term rental per, per property. Again, if a property has a history of more than one short-term rental, I don't see why we are going to restrict that. And in fact, we may not even legally be able to do so. But if they're in otherwise good standing, and they've been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years, why are we going to tell them that they can't? Um, so... After that paragraph about the short-term rental, it's why all of the low is entailed in the Marin County Code, and we've said that short-term rentals must comply with the code. So I would delete noise, solid waste, et cetera, et cetera, because you've got to follow the law. So this just seems redundant. Um, I would insert, after all of those, so now I'm below municipal services, um, which I would have deleted, uh, I would insert the old section 5.41.070. The owner of the short-term rental supposed to a copy of the house rules inside the unit or provide the tenants with a good neighbor brochure at the time of their arrival. The house rules of brochure shall include specific instructions on how to comply with the following county regulations. So that was in the previous um, ordinance. I've already talked about the good neighbor policy. And again, I mean, 
visible address, smoke alarms, carbon monoxide alarms, fire extinguisher, I mean, all those things are already required. I, I, you know, give, do a checklist like San Rafael. I have it here somewhere. San Rafael has a great checklist of all the things that need to be taken care of, but it doesn't need to be reiterated here because we've said you need to comply with the law. I would take a look again. Now I'm down at uh, K, special events. I'm not exactly sure what to do with all of this. Special events are going to take place on agricultural property. We know that's one of the reasons we want to exempt them. But we heard from um, the gentleman from Stinson that he's been having weddings on his properties, which isn't considered an agricultural property, for how long? 40 years or something? So I, I think we need to more finely tune this special events. I can't exactly tell you how to do it, but if there has been historical use of special events and, and they've complied with the law and they haven't gotten got a lot of complaints from neighbors, and we know this because we've got all of the uh, complaints from the previous hotline, then why wouldn't we continue to allow people to do that, especially when it's what their economic survival is based on? I would just add, um, and I'm going to get to numbers in a minute, but uh, under 5.41.060, after the tables, just be, uh, clarify that unhosted short-term rental licenses may be renewed indefinitely by the current operator or host. Then as I come down to the definitions, as I've said, I think that they, those should be moved to the top so that we actually know what we're talking about as we read through. I think that it might be useful to define township, uh, regional areas around and including villages or other communities in Marin County's unincorporated jurisdiction shown on the map entitled Townships of the County of Marin kept on file by the Marin County Community Development Agency and made available online. Just, again, so that we can be clear about the jurisdictions that we're talking about. Um, the change of ownership that I referred to earlier, I think we need to take a look at the consequences when this means if your spouse dies that you lose the license. That doesn't seem fair. Uh, the <laughs> definition of host operator this is also confusing. A host can refer to the agent of a host, and unhosted short-term rentals also have hosts. We need definitions of all of these things. Host of a hosted, the host of a hosted rental, the host of an unhosted, the agent of a host, the operator, the licensee, and sometimes the property owner has been used in place of host. So I think that uh, clarification is useful here important here. Um, similarly, well, the local contact person, the person or business designated by the short-term rental owner to receive and respond communica to re communications regarding an unhosted short-term rental. 
And I think that long-term tenant needs to be specifically defined for this ordinance because in some places long-term tenant is defined as somebody who is uh, in residence for a period exceeding 30 days. I think that what we want here is for somebody that's been a tenant for like six months. I mean, it's not just like, oh, a short-term a short-term, long-term tenant can also rent it out to people. So I think clarification there. Um, and just also just note bene, P.O. boxes do not provide, uh, do not prove long-term uh, residency. Um, so as I said, I think that, I mean, getting to Jeremy's point, I think that we should exempt the ag uses. Um, I'd like to figure out a way to tailor it to specific communities. It seems like that's been a, an insurmountable challenge to us. And in terms of the numbers, and this is where I'm going to not make anybody happy, I'm sure, to the extent I've made anybody happy with my current suggestions, um, I don't, I, mean, I wish I knew how many hosted and unhosted there actually were. So I, I don't know if we can get that data, but if we use the data that was provided by staff um, for our ordinance in June, then it says that there's 108, if you're Buddhist, that's a very special number, so I think there's something, something magical about that. Uh, anyway, there were 108 um, hosted and 460 unhosted. My proposal would be that we don't limit hosted at all because those are places that people live. Those are not places that are ever going to go back into the housing stock. And it provides opportunities for our residents to make some money. I mean, we know it's expensive to be out here. So I would say no limit on unhost unhosted. And I would say that we take, I mean, I can't really see very well because the print is so tiny, but I think that it's 460. And I would say that we take that 460 as our limit on the unhosted. And I think that we can revisit this next year or whenever it seems timely to do so and see what kind of an effect that this is happening, that this is having. So I... Um, Thank you for bearing with me. I really hope that my fellow commissioners can find a way to support these suggestions because, well, not merely because I really worked hard and put a lot of time in, but, but I did that because I think that this is so important. And I listened to a lot of different people, all these different points of view, and have tried to come up with some... Um, um, amendments to the ordinance that take into consideration all of the things that we've heard. I don't think that uh, this actually does have any effect on affordable housing. That's another matter. The housing element doesn't have an effect on affordable housing either. And that is a real crisis in our community. And that needs to be dealt with. But this isn't, this isn't going to do anything for affordable housing. It may do something for the housing stock if we limit, if we put a cap on uh, um, 
the unhosted. So I've been going to your another one of your alternatives, Jeremy, about lumping them together. I wouldn't do that. I would keep them uh, separate. And I'm not really sure how to respond to that countywide cap, per se. I mean, we've heard that, that the bulk of the... Um, of the short-term rentals are in Dennis Radoni's district. I, so I, I don't, I guess I would have to hear more to understand what the significance of having a county-wide cap is. Um, I mean, as opposed to the numbers that we've been talking about, because actually, I, I mean, I think what I'm talking about is a county-wide cap when I'm saying uh, 460. So thank you for bearing with me. I'm happy to answer any questions that people have been paying attention. And... Um, and I hope that we're going to come up with something yet for the November, just so that you have noticed, there is going to be a hearing November 13th, Ms. Dillon Beach, so you heard it from me. Um, and I hope that, you know, we have an ordinance that we're going to be able to um, put forward to the Board of Supervisors on that date. Thank you, Commissioner Dessner. Does, uh, are there any commissioners who have additional questions or comments? Commissioner Curran. Sorry, Chair Bailey, could I just... Uh, it, make a couple of quick points of yeah, clarification. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a countywide cap would be an overall cap on the number of short-term rentals in the county. Uh, getting to the idea of trying to prevent uh, proliferation of short-term rentals on the eastern side of the county, uh, you know, to avoid uh, losing losing housing stock uh, in that area of the county. So, that, so that's the, the general notion of it. I did and I hope you bear with me, I did want to make a couple points about the septic issue. Uh, this is something that people don't really think about unless they have to, which that's usually bad. Uh, but we, um, somebody raised uh, in, in the comments uh, that there is not data on septic and um, I, that is in, in some ways the case. There are over a third of the septic systems in the county w are systems that we have no records on. They are, uh, we, we don't have records because they were put in place, you know, long before our permit requirements were in place. So that means that those are the old systems. And, uh, you know, we do experience, our environmental health staff does experience uh, septic failures on a regular basis. and is stepping into place to address them. Uh, there is interest on the part of the water board in requiring uh, a, an aggressive septic inspection system for all septic systems uh, that exist in the county. That would be uh, a very big lift for all property owners. Um, we are uh, suggesting that in the case of uh, licensing use of a property that uh, that we do have clarification that the septic system is in good working order. That's an inspection that for the first time estimate is uh, is somewhere and this is this is definitely an estimate I, I asked our environmental health staff um, to provide. It, they are provided by private providers uh, with no records at all. That inspection would be somewhere in the neighborhood of $1,000. But once there are records, I more like, you know, well under $500. I, but and, I, and I'm not suggesting eliminating that. I, I said we should have that as, you know, licensed whoever uh, says, yes, this septic works. Mm -hmm. Does it need to be every 
you know, every four, every two years, every four years. I don't know how often we need to say someone say yes, this works. I thank you. I uh, yeah. I I did hear that point. You know that came through very clearly. I just wanted to the question of the cost of this uh, had come up uh, in the public comment, so I wanted to clarify that. And you know, just a final note on this. Uh, you know, if a septic system fails, it's uh, obviously bad for the property owner, bad for the people on the site, and uh, bad for those around them. And so it's it's something that uh, we we put into place in these regulations uh, to address that issue. Commissioner Curran. Um, <coughs> uh, uh, thank you. Um, and. Um, uh, Commissioner Desser, that was uh, really, really helpful. I, I appreciate um, the work you put into that, and it, you certainly paralleled a lot of my thinking um, um, on these things. That what I thinking I came in with, and thinking that that uh, emerged as part of the public hearing process and reading uh, this tome. Um, but um, uh, and I and I think I understood everything you were saying, except about the caps. I don't quite get that. You're suggesting that there be one cap only for the whole. County, what am what am I missing? I just didn't hear it. I think. No, no. I was saying that we should have no cap for hosted. No, no cap for hosted. Yeah. Uh, and that that we use the numbers from the staff um, in from June twenty three for the unhosted. I, I don't know that I can find that. Yeah. Well, it's so there's a. I know. Good luck. But uh, and the the it was. <laughs> 460. I mean, just the, and the re, and my logic for that. I mean, if that's the real number, is that we're not taking it away from anybody that currently has a unhosted short. Everybody who has a, currently a, an unhosted short-term rental can apply for a new license. We're just limiting, you know, additional ones, and then coming back in a year or whenever to take a look at how it's working. But you're proposing that that, um, that that is broken out by community and there's specific caps for, for the way the way that it currently exists. The way it currently is. Okay, so yeah. you weren't aggregating all of that. You were just saying that's the bottom line, but it breaks out still by community. There's differential caps for different communities. Yeah, but, you're but you're basing it on, on what, what, on, this, what on exists. The yeah. What the staff gave us in June. Right. Right. And I'm, I'm open, I'm, to, you know, obviously, uh, uh, yeah. I just, what's going to be fair, mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't, it seems to me that we shouldn't take away a right that has been perfected or a privilege, whatever we're calling this, it's been perfected by a current license holder. The, 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 I'm not sure I'm completely on board with not changing it in places like Bolinas that, that uh, it's different than the Dillon Beach situation. I just wanted and, to put something and, out there. And, so. and I appreciate that <laughs> very much. <laughs> totally. Um, I just wanted to kind of, my silence, just to, uh, say that that's not doesn't remain an issue for me. It does. Commissioner Lind. So first of all, so your number is different from the 551 that the staff is proposing here in the report? 
I'm using. That? I'm or maybe just, Jeremy, you need to clarify that. <laughs> choosing another. I'm staff not sure member. which piece of information is on the table for discussion. Here. Yeah, my understanding is we don't have uh, reliable numbers about unhosted versus hosted. What we have are reliable numbers about how many short-term rentals there are in various communities. So what we've proposed is to have restrictions on the unhosted and no restrictions on the hosted and we are using the combined numbers for the hosted and the hosted to set the the cap. Okay, so that is, so that would essentially, your number would essentially be lowering then. So I gonna, think it's actually what she's, I think she's what she's saying, actually. Yeah, that's, that was what. I think, except for you, it also said we should not have caps in Dillon Beach. We are proposing caps in Dillon Beach. Right, so, so that cap could maybe slide over someplace else. I don't know. That's for us to discuss. Or you don't have to have a cap in Dillon Beach. That's so, fine, too. But going back up to more of a top level here, because I, I'm i not You weren't following all of this? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I did understand, and um, and there are a couple of things that I do want to speak to. Um, let me start with needing, we need accurate numbers for the hosted and unhosted to the extent that you can possibly give us that because we can't, an estimate or something. I do not believe that we have reliable numbers for that and I don't think that we're going to be able to provide those to you. So what is the, how did you get the combined number then? Because we have TOT numbers, but the TOT I, I don't think gives the and that data doesn't hosted. specify the two categories. No, it specifies other categories such as is it in a separate uh, building or other. So you can you can draw some you can you can try to estimate based on on information which is really not answering the question that you're asking. Um, but we do not have reliable data on unhosted versus hosted. Okay, so that's problematic, I think, for really a good discussion about the ultimate cap number and what to do with, if we do agree that Dillon Beach should not have the cap. And I tend to agree with that because this has clearly been a vacation community from its from inception, and we've heard a lot of testimony about that. But that was my concern about the cap number is not having adequate data to understand it. And I'm actually more concerned with the outside the Coastal Commission area, the rest of the county, because I am not in favor of, of um, pursuing additional conversion of rental housing stock into unhosted um, short-term rentals outside that area. I, I'm, I, I understand the the competing goals and the history within the coastal area. But to me, that's a very different situation because other areas of the county do not have the history of being vacation rentals and do not have a mandate for, for visitors. And so part of my question around that was, um, is there a legal basis for a, a even more, we've talked about differentiating between the townships or the, or the existing uh, communities within the 16%, but is there a legal basis for um, treating the rest of the county somewhat differently in terms of, well, we, we are talking about maybe not uh, counting the unhosted, but that would be countywide. I, I, I'm not clear about what that proposal is. No, so not counting the hosted. Not, not the counting the unhosted. No, if, no, no, if you're happy, counting the hosted. the hosted, so we're not counting the hosted in the 
remainder of the county as well because there are no caps. That, that was one of my questions, that we need clarification about that. Okay, so um, hosted versus unhosted only matters where there are caps. Right. Right, otherwise it doesn't make any difference. So we don't have precise numbers on hosted versus unhosted. All we have is precise numbers on the total. So in those areas where we have caps, we, com we combined those and said that's going to be the cap for the number of ultimate licenses. So Outside of that, there are no caps, so. So you, that, does that mean you cannot have unhosted in the rent remainder of the county? What is? No, it doesn't. It means you can have as many as you want. So, okay, so I'm, I would not support having an uncapped, un, uncapped, unhosted in the remainder of the county. So that's I'd what like that, to mo know more information about that before. I haven't made up my mind about it, but at this point, I think that's a serious issue to be discussed. So that's what that, f that third alternative is, which is to essentially say, here's the n total number of, of short-term rentals that we have in the county, and we're going to cap the total number, right? So it doesn't cap it doesn't cap in Mill Valley versus Novato. It just caps the total number right. of the county. Okay, so I would like, I would be looking for more information about that and, and reasons, rationale for supporting that kind of a public policy. Okay, so uh, I'm not sure what more data we can provide, but the rationale is the same rationale as was uh, indicated in the housing element, which is, their concern about converting housing that would otherwise be for long-term rentals into housing that would be for short-term rentals, as well as the other kind of concerns that you hear from neighborhoods about party houses or people not um, acting responsibly in, in their residential Okay, so you guys would present that the next, the next round. I don't need to have that detailed now, but that's just what I'm asking for is, more, is understanding that purpose and you know, support for that position. Then let me, I don't want to, I, I don't want to go on too long, but I just want to say that I have significant concern about adding in, allowing special events. I'm, I'm, um, I think it's a mistake to write a countywide ordinance based on one or two businesses that may need to be grandfathered in under some particular zoning provision. But in general, uh, and this is based on my personal experience with my family's long, long-term vacation property in another county, but you know, when a, when a wedding event, event or, a, or large, uh, pub, uh, large live events move in, that is no longer consistent with the uh, single-family use of property. So and, and so what I'm, what my, the principle that I want to go for is, in all respects, I think that these units need to be managed and used based on the zoned purpose that they are treated like single-family residential properties to the greatest extent possible. So just as a clarification, in the zoning code, like, you know, weddings and other kind of commercial ve venues of that kind are not allowed in residential zones anyway. But it was suggested that we might consider allowing them for we would have rental. So I would, amend, I am not in support of that. No, we'd have to amend the development code to do that. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay, then um, that was, pretty much it for me for right now. I'll shut up. <laughs> Commissioner Dickinson, and then I'll come to you, Commissioner Stepanisich. Commissioner Dessler?
There's no Commissioner Dickens. No oh, question. No. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, did he, he had to go? No. Yeah, he did. And then Sat, we'll come sadly. back to you, Commissioner no, Dickens. No, it's fine. I think one of the harder issues to deal with there are the caps, and uh, and that really becomes more complicated now with this issue of whether there's any legal nonconforming uh, use rights here. Right. So I think it is important that for our next meeting, before we can decide upon this, we need to know yeah. whether or not anyone has legal nonconforming uses or not. I was going into this believing this is really a regulation of a of a uh, commercial activity, mm -hmm. uh, but that is an important question for us to have a uh, advice from County Council on. And uh, with respect to caps, I mean, I think the struggle here is looking at how is this impacting housing. And uh, for sure, Dillon Beach, and I walked through Dillon Beach, and, you know, it's such a, a um, vacation spot there uh, that I, I, could, I could go along with, depending on how the commission feels about this, but I could see exempting them from a, from a cap. Uh, it looks like uh, since the beach is more complicated, they have a lot of vacation rentals there, but maybe the community there really is a little bit more of a mixed uh, bag. So... I would be interested in any other further thoughts uh, either staff or, or the uh, uh, commission has on, on that. Um, on the parking requirements, um, one concern would be that to what extent, because I believe all the standards need to be applied throughout the county, and, and is the parking standard um, difficult in a place like Dillon Beach, which again, walking through there, I saw a lot of properties that seem to have very limited on-site housing. So. Parking, uh, parking. I mean, parking, rather. So um, so I, I would be open to considering whether or not we should just limit that to one uh, one parking space uh, per site. But, uh, again, would like staff's again, input and thoughts on, on how that impacts, from their view, uh, each of these communities, in, uh, in particular in West, West Marin. Uh, on the application process, I, I always feel with uh, working with regulatory ordinances, the best keep application processes for the most part as simple as possible. Yeah, I thought maybe the site plan was maybe asking too much for uh, just a regular property owner who's not a, not a developer or someone who is regularly preparing plans to have such a detailed site plan. So I think the individual requirements such as expo uh, ex expressing the number of bedrooms and, and that type of thing it makes sense but I think the site plan to me seen maybe was really too much of a burden to be placed upon a, um, a, a licensee. And um, just looking through a couple other of my notes here. Yeah, those are probably my main comments at this point. Other Commissioner Mar 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 Yes, Sorry, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, so just taking along with what um, I can't really last name, I'm sorry. Yeah, Greg. Hey, Greg. <laughs> Greg said. Um, my concern was also the parking. Yeah, sorry. Took too long to speak. There we go. No, took too long to speak. Uh, about the parking issue, just wanted to find out a little bit more about how is that really planning to be enforced since since it's already limited and if we're trying to give more spaces to the renters. Um, I would like to hear about that. The second point that I would like to advocate for is actually for the... Um, Evacuating plans in case of an emergency, I think it's important that those are given to guests as whatever, if you're in a home, whether you live there or you're just being there for the weekend, you need to know how to evacuate that place. So I think having those routes available for the guests that are staying, whether it's a weekend, three days, or whatever time, it's, it should be included um, as you had stipulated before. 
Uh, so just about the parking. So the way that would be um, evaluated is we would, if the proposal is to require a site plan, then the site plan would indicate where the parking is uh, and indicate that it meets the parking standard. And once that was submitted, as long as it checked out, then that, what would, that would be the enforcement. Got it. Thank you. Commissioner Desser, you had. Yeah, I'm not, I forgot to mention parking. Um, just, it, again, like, this isn't about me. I've got off-street parking in Marshall, but there are others who don't. And there are places where uh, off-street parking just isn't possible. So this, again, could be something at the discretion of the director, but we need to make allowances for places where there isn't parking. And then, as as I think I said at our last meeting, or we're, we keep eliminating the need for parking. People are building ADUs in their garages, and so we are losing the parking that existed. They may hang out in their ADU and rent their house, and now not only do they not have a place to park, but the visitors don't have a place to park. So you're adding the number of cars on the street. This is not a good thing, but this is what we're doing. So given that we're doing this, it doesn't, it, it seems inconsistent to require off-street parking when we're eliminating uh, off-street parking. And then I guess we hadn't really talked about this before, but in effect, these numbers are all in the coastal zone, right? So I know, that I think it's Sonoma actually decided they didn't want to deal with this, and they, uh, they've exempted the coastal zone from, at this point anyway, from their short-term rental ordinance. I'm wondering if we want to do a countywide cap if we divide the coastal zone from the rest of the county, because it's the coastal zone where the intensity of use is most serious. So it, I don't, it just seems like lumping everything into the county isn't really the right approach. And, and I, I myself, hypocrite though I may be, I hate Airbnb. And I actually detest short-term rentals. That's why I'm calling them vacation rentals, because these are places that existed a long time before. But the Airbnb-style short-term rentals really are destroying San Francisco, for example, and taking, uh, I mean, and somebody especially talked about it with regard to rent control. So in a place like Mill Valley, which is a really nice place to hang out, but it's more like a, it's not a city exactly, but it isn't vacation, you know, coastal zone. So... I certainly don't want to have the unintended effect of routing Mill Valley. I mean, this is kind of language that's the, that people have used. So I feel like the, the, the caps and the numbers, again, it depends on where it is, and we need to bear that in mind. So I don't know, you know, what communities in the rest of the county we're looking at and what the numbers of short-term rentals are like in those places. I generally agree with that. I think we do need to look carefully at the area outside the coastal zone. More carefully. We focus so much on what's happening in the coastal zone, but it has been traditionally a vacation area, which is a really different dynamic. And um, you know, predated the concept of short-term rentals, actually. But that is not the case in the other areas. And um, I'm, I have a lot of concern about, about um, conversion of housing stock in the other areas and not just Mill Valley. Mm -hmm. any, any place along the 101 corridor, 
you know, particularly once the caps get reached in the coastal zone, we could have unintended consequences. So I think we need to think this through very carefully. Would you like to have a straw vote on the third? I think we're probably in agreement from our conversation. The other thing I'm curious about, we had three people today from who weren't um, from representing the coastal zone, only three, and I'm just wondering to what extent staff has been able to reach out to some of our um, participants in the housing element process, for example, are people who um, are not affiliated with the coastal zone and businesses and, and ongoing operations in the coastal zone, or maybe reaching out to the standing design review boards to see if there's interest in this issue. It might really be useful to get that I, input. I can look into that. We, uh, in the, in the first round of outreach, we did countywide outreach uh, and uh, held discussions uh, within each district. Um, it was not limited to people who owned property or visited the districts. So uh, we did have a particularly enthusiastic group of Dillon Beach property owners who came mm -hmm. to each of them. Uh, but uh, you know, our numbers show that in unincorporated community, in all but one unincorporated community, I, the numbers are r around the 1% uh, as reported. I, in District 3, particularly that Tam Valley, Muir Woods Park area, it's higher. That's yeah. sort of the, the highest preponderance yeah, outside of the For obvious reasons. Yes, absolutely. Reasons and that's an area that we really want to make sure we're, we're managing the issue in as well. I, and one where the the emergency evacuation and roadway width issues are um, are definitely top of people's minds. I we didn't get a lot of interest or participation outside of um, outside of the coastal areas around the issue. Uh, what we did hear about was the um, the conflict, the neighbor conflict uh, issues that have emerged in some of the other parts of the county. Uh, you know, as as we mentioned, uh, you know, we are looking ahead and do want to make sure that we're not in a place of, um, of you know, risking housing stock essentially uh, going forward. And so that's where the idea of thinking about, uh, you know, trying to uh, make sure that that there is not unlimited opportunity to uh, create okay. new short-term yeah. rentals elsewhere in the county is it's that's where that notion came from. Commissioner Kern, just one one just request for staff for next time. Um, I, I, I'd appreciate some uh, just clarity and def definition-wise about um, ADUs as we we think of them. A relatively recent invention, and and, and uh, particularly is modified by state law, and they're not eligible to be short term, etc. But there are cottages, as was brought up, things that have been there for, you know, 20, 30 years. Is that, I mean, it is it is an accessory dwelling to the main dwelling, but is that an ADU? So just sort of a definitional thing to think about, um, where where if anywhere we draw a line with those things. Um, and then also just the uh, some clarity, greater clarity on the um, property owner, the one license per property, per property owner. It, uh, if an owner owns two buildings, 
it's two licenses, it's one per property. It's That's all a little confusing, I think, and it's sometimes referred to as property, property owner, and parcel. Um, so I, I, I just like that to be clear because it's important. So just on your first point, um, as we were discussing when we were discussing the short-term rental, um, sorry, the ADU requirements in the development code, um, there are two types of ADUs in state law. There's the statewide exemption ADU, and then there's the type of ADU where we can require an ADU permit. So under state law, uh, statewide exemption ADUs, or what we call category one, um, you are not allowed to have those as a short-term rental. Permit ADUs, uh, you can have as a short-term rental unless we decide to not allow that. All right, so what your commission decided was that you did not want to allow any kind of ADU to be used as a short-term rental. And that's what's going forward. Okay, so the operational definition at the moment is any accessory dwelling is an ADU, period. That's what your commission yeah. forwarded to the board, yes. Uh, we could decide here to um, change that to be a category two ADU, uh, could have a short-term rental, right? Well, we could, we could uh, differentiate. We, I mean, we could, that would, although we'd have to also change then our ADU ordinance, is that right, to do that? Mm -hmm. That's right, yeah, I mean, or the board can do that. Right. But that's local initiative. Yeah. That's local. Well, uh, personally, I would, I would be interested in a discussion of not allowing unhosted ADUs in the rest of the county and just have them in the coastal zone. But I don't know that there'd be support for that. But I'm, I'm not opposed to ADUs in the rest of the county because that's a potential source of rental housing, which we need very, very badly. And if we're going to see those additional small units created in the rest of the county, I would, I would, I would uh, feel badly if they were unhosted rentals. If they were hosted rentals, particularly JDUs, no, that could be fine. Could work out fine. That would be a property owner's decision. So I am hoping to, I'm sorry. That, that, go ahead. I'll, I, I am hoping to get straw votes on the three alternatives. We'll get there. Commissioner Reyes. As we move forward, I'm thinking if you'll find it that it will be beneficial to hold a meeting for the 99% that was not represented here today as one of the speakers spoke. We heard a lot about the 1% that owns but not the renters and the other community members out there. So as we move forward with it, would you find it beneficial to hear comments about that population? Absolutely, we've invited those the entire time. It would be great to have more involvement. Commissioner Morales, are you suggesting uh, that the next hearing be held uh, as that commenter suggested in the evening or have have uh, other measures taken for the, for the next hearing that they uh, that it that it be easier to attend for a broader section of the population. Yes, mm. thank you. Thank you. Okay, I have a couple questions. First, my first question is why why is May twenty third the deadline? Because uh, the moratorium ends on that date. And it was a two year moratorium. Right. Got it. Okay. And um, so, but what's the risk there if we just go back to the existing to the ordinance? Mm -hmm. I don't quite understand what the risk is. So what would happen at that point is you would get a rush of, of additional um, short-term rentals. More visiting. Right, which would then be 
um, permitted, right? And well, so then if the you, if you, yeah, so then if you try to apply the cap, what you means is you're taking away the ability for short-term rentals that already got permitted, uh, which is difficult to do, and then how do you decide who gets one and who doesn't? And that, that goes right to the legal non-conforming use issue. Okay. The experience in Sonoma County was they spent a lot of time working on regulations and were close to bringing them uh, to their board, and there was a big rush of, uh, of applications at that time. Uh, that was the reason that uh, we recommended to the board that they uh, that they put in place a moratorium in advance of uh, of developing regulations, so it would essentially kind of bring us right back to the situation that we were hoping to avoid because of the just the speculative rush, as mm -hmm. Jeremy pointed out. So you'd say we're better having something in place even if we have to come back and modify it later? For sure. Is there any thought about, you know, enacting what happens when we enact whatever ordinance we ultimately come up with about revisiting it, a time frame in which to revisit it? Be especially because there's so, such limited data around unhosted versus hosted and distribution through the county. Yeah, the, and the, it's a nice idea, and we certainly do revisit these things. The, the, pro, the wild card there is the Coastal Commission, mm -hmm. right? And so it's very difficult to try and pin the Coastal Commission and their staff okay. down on a time frame. Yeah. Okay. If I, could, if I could suggest one area that we, uh, we could consider crafting a way to consider, it would be to track what is happening with the wait list. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if caps are put in place, that we track what is happening on the wait list and uh, perhaps build in reconsideration uh, over a particular time period. I mean, if you could offer that language, I think that we would probably, you know, I, I think that's, a, that's an excellent bellwether, right? Yeah, sure. um, okay, any other comments, questions for staff? Do we want to take a straw poll on the three? Yes, Alternative. So the first one is the ag exemption. I think we're all probably in radical agreement, but let's do a straw poll on the ag exemption. I just want to roll call. Oh, hands. Yeah, well, yeah, all in favor of the ag exemption, unless there's further comment. Yeah, I think we're all in favor of the ag exemption. Okay, so then the second question is, um, do we want to segregate hosted versus unhosted um, in the caps. And this one, I feel like e either we start with discussion or we definitely should do a roll call. I'm not sure that we're aligned on this. So the caps now are just unhosted, correct? Correct. They're everything, right? Right now, that's no. a combined. No, it's just unhosted. The data oh, is everything, sorry. but the number being suggested yes. as the cap the applicability is only of the unhosted. cap is just the hosted. Yes. And just to uh, I reiterate the concern that uh, that we have been hearing about that of having the caps only for unhosted, it is that uh, the since we since we don't have that data differentiated now, we are essentially creating a cap that is now including some hosted short-term rentals. And so setting a cap uh, uh, 
would effectively allow for more short-term rentals than exist at, at this point in time. I, I, you know, we, we don't have a way of knowing how many that would, how many more that would allow, but that is the concern that, um, that some community members have raised. But the application is asking for that differentiation Right, so we would be able to track it once we get the applications. We wouldn't be, that's right, yep. we would be able to. In the future, in the, the future, future, we'll be able to distinguish. So if, so, you, so exactly what is your purpose raising this question now? Do you want us, what's, what is the difference? If, so we, if we don't study it more, we don't, if you, what, what information could you provide us that you haven't yet? None. But there have been comments that we've received from the public saying that essentially if you don't combine them, you're using a combined number, aggregated number of unhosted and not unhosted to create the cap, <coughs> but then you're not using, but then you're breaking them apart to actually set the cap, which could potentially mean an increase in the number of unhosted short-term rentals. I see, and and we're uh, we're raising the question now because it's a it's a significant policy direction uh, that you know we we would want to resolve in in the version that we bring back to you in several weeks, uh, and that you opine on for the board. Uh, as Jeremy noted. Uh, you know, one one possibility that uh, ta taking out that distinction between hosted and unhosted for the purpose of the caps uh, uh, raises creates a lot of opportunity for simplifying overall, and so it would really affect uh, some significant revisions uh, and or some significant changes. So that's why we want to talk about it at, at this stage. It radically simplifies it and makes inf code enforcement much, much simpler as well. Jeremy, can you just explain that a little bit further and in which ways that you would find this? Well, so, I mean, so much of this is, is about enforcement, right? The whole thing is about enforcement, whether you can enforce, whether you can't. So if you're trying to enforce and, dis and drawing a distinction between hosted and unhosted, and you're saying that you can have any number of hosted then there's obviously an incentive to have a what call, what you call a hosted, right? Because then you're not subject to the caps, right? There's a financial incentive. You don't have to worry about the caps. You can you can create a new AD, a new short-term rental, I see. right? So there's a heavy incentive. So for us to actually be able to enforce, remember with enforcement, there's a huge difference between um, a permit process where they have to demonstrate to you that they meet the standards and the enforcement process where you have to demonstrate to the judge that they don't, right? And to, to demonstrate to a judge, you actually need to have hard evidence. That means somebody needs to go and knock on the door and have nobody answer, right? So if you have to have that kind of enforcement mechanism, you essentially need to hire an outside enforcement agency to do it. That's a very expensive proposition. So it's much more complicated. You have to create a whole administrative process. Since the licensing fees are likely to at least partially offset code enforcement, it drives up the cost of the licensing fees. So it's really a kind of a critical issue. We don't think there are that many 
posted short-term rentals. And so I think internally, we don't know really, but it may be that there's this kind of huge effort underway for really a very small number of short-term rentals. You convinced me. <laughs> I, I could see the problem on enforcement, but we're trying to make that distinction for the cap. So yeah, I would I would personally support uh, doing away with that distinction. On differentiation. Having, having cap applied to both. Did you have a, a comment? It's not all about enforcement. It's about economic opportunities for people who live in this area. And I've had people come up and talk to me about that. So it's not all about enforcement at all. I mean, that's what the county has to deal with. I understand that. But that's not what this is all about. And um, I don't know what it costs to use host compliance, but this doesn't need to be on the back of the county. There is an organization. I mean, host compliance is it's not a term of art. It's a name of a, of, of a business that's in the business of making sure that people comply with um, short-term rentals, and they, you know, they they deal with the hotline and all of that. Now, I don't, I have no idea what it costs. Um, also, I know, Sarah, you thought no, this wasn't a good idea, but it seems to me that some part of that TOT money should all should defray the cost of assuring compliance and enforcement. So I'm, I'm not in favor of, of lumping them together. I think that they raise very different issues. And they serve different constituencies, and they support economic well-being, especially the, I mean, the, both, I suppose, but especially the hosted ones for sort of not rich people that have small houses that want to be able to offer them uh, as, you know, offer rooms as short-term rental. And I, these are not hypotheticals. Again, all of this that I did is based on hours and hours and hours of conversations with all of the people that have a stake in this. So I, I'm not in favor of lumping them together. <clears throat> Other, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead, just, Sarah. Just on the matter of the enforcement, this is a level of enforcement that's beyond what host compliance offers. It's more like uh, what is in place now in the San Geronimo Valley under the new stream conservation area ordinance. We have an, uh, we have uh, enforcement staff who are uh, on call nights and weekends uh, to basically catch people in the act. But so how that's many, but how many, tell me though, because we never got these numbers. How many numbers of complaints did you get on the hotline that require, I mean, thousands, dozens, hundreds? I mean, was it, did, did it, was it really an onerous burden here to do that? I mean, and I don't know, maybe it was, but and it didn't seem like it from people that I talked to. I mean, Kathleen could quote you off the top of her head. A, a, on the hotline for the regulations that were in place, uh, we have not been getting uh, we we have not been getting significant numbers of complaints, I, especially when you put aside especially when you put aside COVID. That is for the requirements that are in place at this time, uh, that were put into place for the for the purpose of making sure that short term rentals, however many there are, aren't bothering neighbors and aren't you know taking certain steps. I uh, the the regulations, obviously, that um, that are being contemplated now are capturing a lot more of the aspects of, of short-term rental activity. I, and 
the enforcement of whether there's a host there or not is something that would take much more proactive steps uh, than how the co the host compliance complaints operate. So it's a it's 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 kind of a different level and different nature. Uh, but the sum of it is that we uh, uh, you know even part of the reason that we need host compliance is that it was um, it was put into place in part around the Department of Finance and their uh, concern about making sure that short-term rental operations were being uh, identified and paying their uh, transient occupancy tax uh, so it wasn't it wasn't something that uh, that was established by CDA our code enforcement actions uh, are really around much more around uh, the physical uh, construction that happens and are not suited to enforcing on behavior. Uh, that's, that's really a different enforcement situation than, than what we do with our staff and uh, the, uh, the whole nature of the hosted, uh, of the hosted requirement kind of requires that you have somebody able to check on this outside of working hours. Uh, which well, is not what we're set uh, for. So, uh, I mean, uh, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time uh, on this. It just to, well, just to but clarify but that there's a significant we don't cost beyond. But we beyond haven't had a lot of problems, is what I'm saying. Also, I meant I just sent you guys my edits so that you have it. I'd also like maybe entered into the public record. Please send it to all of the uh, commissioners so that they have it. I also forgot to mention on the hosted thing. I think we should change those hours to midnight to five, not 10 to five, but anyway, it's in there. But I mean, I think it's important to anticipate problems, but it doesn't really seem like there have been a lot of problems. And so uh, anyway, um, that's why I, I don't think, think they should be aggregated. I think they're very, I think they're, I know they're very different animals. You're bringing up some excellent points, and that's why the proposal was as it, it was. So I, I, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, these are tough decisions. That's why we wanted to bring it to a straw vote. <laughs> yeah. Any other comments, concerns, questions, or do we want to? Any? Yeah, go ahead, just, Commissioner. Just, just that I'm not sure yet how I feel about this. Either. I'm it's not either, and so I'm um, not prepared to, Same. to stick up my hand. Abstain. <laughs> but I just make I'd Commissioner like to make the point that the fact that we aren't sure how we would feel about it maybe is a reason to have the staff try to address it and see what their proposal would be that we could evaluate because it's not really clear it's to not me clear. either, but I do agree with Chris's comment that they're very different constituencies and different needs and it may be that we would even need some different regulations if we were to end up with two separate caps. We'll bring something back to you then. Thanks, can Jeremy. I, can I uh, add something? Um, I just want to clarify. Um, so you're saying that having them together will have a less opportunity for others to create hosted short-term rentals, right? Is that what I heard? That's correct. Okay. Um, and just tagging along, um, yes, maybe there hasn't been a lot of complaints lately, but let's also remember that we're coming out of a pandemic. So people are really just barely just starting to get out. And if there's more short-term rentals on the place, then that could also raise more of these uh, complaints. That's just my two cents. Yeah, obviously we're also placing caps. We don't have the ca any caps right now, so that's right. another issue. So we'll, 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 we'll think on it, and we'll bring something back to you next time. Thank you. Okay. I mean, we, we might not support it 
if you bring it back, right? Because I think we have a lot of questions. But we aren't going to have a chance to think through those questions if they don't bring it back. Right. <clears throat> so the third alternative um, is, so sorry, so just to wrap up the hosted versus unhosted and bifurcating those numbers, you all are going to come back to us with some additional information, proposed language, et cetera. Yep. Okay, so the third issue, the third alternative is countywide cap versus area caps. Do, do it, oh, I'm sorry, my... it's not versus, it's in addition. Oh, in addition, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay, that's good to know. Yeah, countywide so cap, the, in the addition table would to would remain area intact, area. but in addition, you in addition, have we'd have a countywide cap. Which be the countywide, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Commissioners, have any thoughts, questions? I support that. Okay. I, I think it's a good idea. Okay, I think that we're, are we in radical alignment? Yes. So, yeah, we're all agreed that countywide cap. Great, well, thank you so to, much. I appreciate yep. that. Yeah, we'll come back to with that. Okay, is there anything else that we want, that we want or need to address on this particular topic before we send staff on their merry way? Um, I would like public? to, um, one of the key uh, issues that Commissioner Desser brought up was this difference between putting the um, requirements into the ordinance uh, and saying that the property owner is responsible for them. If, if they don't meet those requirements, then essentially they'll lose the ability to have a short-term rental. Um, or just saying it's up to county code and leaving the, those uh, standards out uh, and essentially saying, well, if you violate county code, then that could have that could affect whether or not you get a renewal, but but otherwise um, there's not going to be uh, standards which du uh, duplicate what's in the county code or 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 perhaps uh, modify it somewhat. Um, is your commission in alignment in terms of that approach? Because uh, that you know if we want to come back with that, then that would mean taking out most of the standards. But but I also have asked that the county develop a brochure that every single short-term you know rental licensee provides to the vacationers in their place that's very clear about what all those rules are right yeah so uh, that's an important piece of it couldn't you do it with cross references yeah that's my point and just that way you could provide you could have that requirement that all the following sections have to be responded to in this notice requirement without cluttering up the text with duplicitous regulations. Yeah, there's references in there now, but it also says what the standard is. Yeah, the, the one thing I see as uh, helpful in calling out the standards is it really does put the property um, on notice is what they really have to focus on in terms of compliance. And to the extent staff has identified items of particular concern, then I think it's helpful to actually call those out so that uh, because those are items that maybe the staff would be looking at from res with respect to an enforcement to further enforcement issues so yeah I'm inclined to keep in the standards but uh, is the yeah, language yeah, exactly yeah. the same um, because we don't want inconsistencies yeah. well so often what it will say is it is the property owner's responsibility to ensure that say the noise ordinance is complied with Right, rather than whoever happens to be in the... Well, it's still the property <laughs> owner's response. It doesn't take a, the responsibility away from the property owner. Uh, I don't know that it would... 
you know, I'm not sure that it would be. I mean, the sheriff's if the sheriff shows up because of a noise complaint, I'm not, and the property owner isn't there, I'm not sure it's the property owner's responsibility. That's an important difference. And, and you'll see throughout it all. It always will say it's the property owner's responsibility, and the reason we're doing that is to always tie it back to the property owner so that... But again, can we be clear? Property owner, licensee, host. I mean, we need to be clear about who we're talking about here if you're going to make those... to right. make those kind of distinctions. We'll look at that. But um, the, the point is that it ties it back for the enforcement so that it is property owner's responsibility because you're taking away, potentially, a right that is the property owner's. Mm -hmm. the, one area of feedback that we heard throughout the county was frustration that when there were ongoing problems with an individual short-term rental property, there was no recourse. Uh, there was no uh, way to address it, which is where I, our recommendation comes from around having, uh, you know, the ability to say you're not going to get another license if you have a certain number of verified complaints. We need to make it clear that uh, what's a complaint, what's a violation of the short-term rental uh, requirements so that we can kind of have that clear path to making sure that uh, we are set up to effectively address issues. Can, for the next meeting, can we actually get some numbers on that? I'd like to see the numbers over the sure. last five years, 10 years, whatever is the, Absolutely, yeah. you know, the number of noise complaints, the number of garbage complaints, the number of parking complaints. I mean, the number of complaints that justify enumerating all of this stuff, which is, again, my feeling is keep it simple, stupid, refer it back to the code, doesn't need to be all in there. And again, that's going to justify some enforcement capacity on, uh, and, and expense on, on the part of the county. What we heard very loud and clear, especially in the survey, but also in conversations, was that there was very broad support for a lot of these, you know, deal with the traffic, I'm sorry, deal with the parking, deal with the trash, deal with the noise, like heard that over and over again. So in the ordinance or uh, the standards, we try to be very explicit for dealing with those things that we heard people raise concerns about, and we want to do it in a way that's enforceable. One thing I'd be concerned about is saying that any two violations of the um, county code would result in a uh, revocation of the license. I mean, I think that's where, if we're looking at using this provision of two violations, then we really do should focus on those violations that are material to that type of license. And because, again, there could be very minor uh, violations, code violations on the property, uh, even if there was a setback violation, I don't think that really should necessarily affect the license for a short-term um, Well, and, and I, yeah. I mean, one of the most important things I think that I'm trying to get built into this is due process, an opportunity to cure, that it isn't this automatic, now two strikes and you're out. I mean, that, it's just not right. There needs to be a process in here for people to appeal sure. or explain. Just to explain that, I think you raised an excellent point. Um, so I think it is set up the way that you're um, mentioning, but I will we'll double check that. And also keep in mind that with any code enforcement process, there are appeal rights, right? Anytime you're, um, the county is saying you broke some rule, um, you have the ability to, if there's a citation, you can appeal the citation. If we're taking to an administrative law judge, you can bring up your case there. Well, okay, Built. but then to be consistent, you need to put it in there. If, if, to be consistent with what you've just said, about reiterating every specific um, uh, ordinance, 
then that needs to be reiterated in there too because the implication isn't that. And if people don't know that there is a right to do all of those right. things. That's why, that's why I said is the language the same? We, we, they really have to be the same. Uh, I mean, when there is, and, and also, I mean, these are investigative enforcement staff, um, so it's not just like someone turns somebody in and, and we don't know whether or not it's true or it's not true. It needs to be actually validated by code enforcement, and every time they approach somebody, they make them very aware of all of their rights. One more comment. Yep, sure. Commissioner Lynn. On the topic of parking, I had a further thought, which is a difficult topic, but is there any way we could tie it to the size of the unit, the parking requirements? Because in my experience as a user of Airbnbs, with extended family for short vacation periods, the size of the unit makes a very big difference in the number of cars that are attracted to the site. Um, so if there's, you've got a small unit and it's for small groups. It's tied to bedroom numbers though, isn't it right now? Is it? Is it? But it's tied to saying, hosted versus un unhosted because I think yeah. the idea is that if it's, if a person lives there already, then they need one parking space and then right. the, the guest will need another one. So the parking ratio, I mean, the parking levels are like very, very low right. for, you know, in comparison to what's normally required for a single family residence. To some of the concern we heard from the public about about neighbors being blocked by Airbnb users, and in my experience, if you've got a larger house and you can have a larger group there, you do need more parking. Well, okay, we we can take a look. We can talk with our public works folks, and I mean maybe we can link that up to the number of bedrooms. Um, but if it's number of bedrooms. Keep in mind that they need to demonstrate the number of bedrooms in their house, which means we need to ask for that information, right? Then you need the, then you need the, <laughs> Then all of a sudden you're talking about floor plans, right? So every, sure. every requirement <laughs> you put in, they need to be able to demonstrate it with information so we can enforce it. So every time you do that, it, it raises the cost. I'm not so opposed yeah. to floor plans, unlike some of my <laughs> colleagues here. <laughs> I like floor plans and, and site plans. So, well, <laughs> I mean, I, I, think I'm, I think I'm hearing some uh, I, I, it's complicated, and we'll do our best to kind of try and balance what we heard today and come back, um, including the things that you asked for and hopefully um, explaining some of the things you still had questions about. I look forward to seeing all of that. <laughs> and I know all of you do too. And I am. Just two weeks. And, and just two weeks, <laughs> yes. And um, thank, thank you, especially to all members of the public who have stayed this long and for all of your public comment and input. And with that, I'm going to close the meeting. Thank you. Excellent job, Oops. Chair. Yeah, really good job chairing a tough meeting. Thanks and managing us being a little bit unruly up here. <laughs> That's not easy.